Hey, everybody, we've got bad, bad, bad news. On this episode of Canary Cry News Talk, our beloved Gons lost everything. Everything. The whole file of Gons on his, uh, on his recording is gone into the ether. And so, lucky for you, I, your best buddy Basil, will be so crisp and so clear. Uh, but Gons will sound like he is buried in a barrel underneath a lake of mud being trampled by brontosauruses. You're welcome, world. And also, the jingles aren't going to sound very good, so we apologize for that. And if this is the first time you're listening to Canary Cry News Talk, we apologize. This isn't this. Don't don't base your whole thoughts on us on this episode. Uh, most of the time, the the sound quality is significantly better. Okay, enjoy. No, my recorder failed. <laughs> I am the crispy one this time. The world is getting crazier. People are acting more and more insane. The end of the world is tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. There's only one thing to do when the world is falling apart. Listen to Basil and Gons as they discuss this week's news and events through the lens of Bible prophecy. You are listening to Canary Cry News Talk. You're listening to Canary Cry News Talk. Today is December 16th, 2020. This is episode 277. And today... Hey, it's the Beast Code. And you know me. I am your best buddy, Basil. And this is Gons. Welcome to the podcast where we praise Jesus while reporting the egregious. And we bring you a well-rounded, biblically grounded intake of world events. And I'm noticing here that some of the titles were messed up, so I had to go back and fix it on Twitch and on DLive. But hopefully everybody sees the Beast Code. And uh, some of the subtitles that may or may not be a good idea mm. for the algos. I don't think they like some of the title. Yeah, that's a new uh, information new, that I new catchy uh, catchphrase there. Yeah, you know it's interesting. This is the the obviously notifications are not going out almost at all <laughs> uh, at this yeah. point in the broadcast. You know we're usually in the hundreds of live viewers. And we are certainly not there yet. Um, so we'll see. Make sure to share this out uh, so people can catch the live broadcast. Make sure to hit that like button. Tell the algorithms that this show is worth taking a look at. Uh, but other than that, Gons, what's going on with you? Um, Not much. I'm just going to mention this. Bitcoin gold to moon. Oh, yeah. All-time highs That's with right. Bitcoin. Let's see here. December uh, look at that. 16th. It's 21,269. 20, it broke the 21,000 barrier wow. as uh, we were getting ready for the show here. So Yeah, big day. Wow. Big day. That is crazy. Bitcoin has not been uh, this high. Well, it's higher than it was, but it hasn't been this high in three years, basically. And I think that's very interesting. Do you think there's some news connected that may have caused this little jump? What do you think? What do you think is... Yeah, uh, there was... Well, th there's been a lot of institutions coming in to buy Bitcoin recently, but there was a rumor about two days ago that uh, that Mark Zuckerberg was starting to pour in about four billion oh into Bitcoin, and that that might have created some FOMO. If, yeah, uh, nothing else has. So that that could be the catalyst. I don't know. I mean, uh, the 
bottom line is that there's not that much Bitcoin to go around, so it's not surprising. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this is a, a crazy day to be alive. Yeah. $21,000 for some code. Just some code out there. <laughs> a historic day and uh, exciting for all you uh, Bitcoin people all out there. Um, well, I, I do hmm. want to do, do a... Uh, Called it. Because I, I have receipts back in, I think, May. I said that in Q4, which we're in right now, mm-hmm. uh, Bitcoin would hit 20,000. So I was called right. It. You called it, buddy. Called it. I called it. Yeah. But there you go. And if the word of uh, many analysts is to be believed, it's all uphill from here. There'll certainly be a, uh, a pullback here. And if not today, at least in the next couple of days, happens every time you hit an all time high. Um, well, but it might be a couple of weeks, a couple of months. You think so? Uh, you, you think it'll take that long, huh? Yeah, because we well, there's more money coming in. So I don't think it's going to, the pullbacks may not be as violent. Mm-hmm. But yes, we do expect a lot know, more stability with all this uh, institutional money coming in. Yeah, yeah. They don't want to see their portfolios go down 30, 40%, which is what we saw between uh, 2016 and 2017. Right. Uh, when, when it went back to all time highs back then, it was $1,000. And then, you know, in less than a year, it went from 1000 to 20000 and then it dropped back down to 3000 So we'll see something similar, but longer stretch of time because there's more money involved real roller coaster uh, ride it is it is but uh yep there you go um what was our i think we made some predictions like <laughs> several episodes ago and uh i think i was in like 200 something thousand you were in 150,000 or something so yeah i forget I mean, still a while, <laughs> we should, so. we'll have yeah. to go back and check the records I know we got to get a little notebook or something to keep all of our predictions in yeah. line, but yeah, there you go. That's okay. a quick, quick thing that happened. Fun times. Well, uh, there is a little bit of hubbub that happened as far as election news. Uh, you got any little uh, election updates for us? Uh, and so my question is very direct is voting by mail. secure? No. Yeah. First off, there's a, I mean, obviously there's still a lot going on. One thing I want to mention is why am I get getting, more credible information about what's going on with the election from social media, like random citizens doing a better <laughs> job of actually documenting like actual, like, you know, in uh, documents and stuff that's public, but I'm getting the info on social media from, you know, citizen journalists rather than any kind of mainstream media. Cause they have so nothing one, to gain from case? controlling your narrative. I guess, but I mean, the people have been doing a pretty good job of collecting the evidence and sharing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been following Code Monkeys, and he's done a pretty good job of uh, collecting information and getting a community of people sharing all the data points that uh, it's all public. It's not like this is conjecture or QAnon or Q post or something. Right. This is like all public information that they're collecting and sharing. So, yeah, I mean, it's just ridiculous. I, I mean, I'm not surprised, obviously, that the mainstream media isn't carrying it. Uh, but the other thing here that happened, I guess it was today, was um, there was like a Senate hearing and, and uh, uh, there's some stuff that went down. This is a, a heated moment between Ron Johnson and Gary Peters. Uh, it's a couple minutes long, but then the we'll get to the, uh, the main part, which is Rand Paul. Rand Paul comes in at the end of this clip. Uh, you want to hear it, Basil? Let's hear it. Oh, what happened? <laughs> You're just oh, teasing boy. me. No, I know. I just messed it up. Hold on. And where did it go? Hit the play button. 
I love it when the play button. Did you rewind it after last time you watched it? Uh, I did, but. Oh, man. What's going on? Here we go. A lot of browser issues last couple of days. By the Justice Department. So it's, it's just galling. And I just have to point out that the purveyors of Russian disinformation, Hillary Clinton's campaign, the DNC, the Steele dossier, the ranking member Peters accusing Senator Grassley and I of disseminating oh. uh, Russian disinformation. <laughs> that's where the disinformation is coming. That's where the false information, the, the lies, the false allegations. I can't sit by here and listen to this. And say that this is this is not disinformation. This hearing today, this is getting information we have to take a look at to restore confidence in our election integrity. We, we're not going to be able to just move on without bringing up these irregularities, examining them, and providing an explanation, and see where there really are problems, so we can correct it moving forward. By the way, before we move on, for those of you watching, it's really interesting because uh, this is Ron Johnson. They're talking. Uh, behind him, there's a thing that looks like DNA. Mm. I mean, I don't know what else to, to call it. it. It looks like DNA, like kind of a, a metal design version of DNA. I don't know if that means anything, but mm, signaling. something I noticed. I know. Senator Paul. Mr. Mr. Chairman, I got to respond to that. I mean, you're saying I'm putting out Try. information. Well, one, Try. I didn't have nothing to do with <laughs> you, you lied repeatedly. You lied this. repeatedly in the press that I was spreading Russian, dis, Russian disinformation, and that was an outright lie, and I told you to stop lying, and you continue to do it. Mr. Chairman, this is not about airing your grievances. I, know what, I don't know what rabbit hole you're running down. You right talked now. about you Russian disinformation. Senator Paul. This is simply not what we're Senator dealing Paul. with. Well, Mr. Chairman, you can't make Judge Star. allegations. And then dropping it there. That is why this <laughs> returns back Good to it. Partisan things. This is this is this is terrible. What you're doing to this committee and all the great work that you talked about. It is what you have done to this committee. It is not falsely the case. accusing the chairman of spreading disinformation. Nothing could have been further from the truth, and you're spouting it again, which is why I had this to respond. Is, oh, Senator come on. Paul, Mr. Chairman, Judge Storm, Judge Judge Storm. It's been uh, alleged that uh, 60 courts have refused to hear these cases. Therefore, there was no fraud in the election. Um, I guess another way of looking at this is that the court cases have been refused. And uh, it goes into, I, I think this guy, Aaron Rupar, who's not friendly to the conservative side of things, had to divide it up here. But here's Ron Paul, or I'm sorry, Rand Paul, uh, the rest of the clip here. But the fraud happened. The election in many ways was stolen, and the only way it'll be fixed is by, in the future, reinforcing the laws. And the only last comment I would say on what Mr. Krebs, and he can speak for himself, but I think his job was keeping the foreigners out of the election. It was the most secure election based on security of the Internet and technology. But he never has voiced an opinion. He's welcome to today on whether or not dead people voted. I don't think he examined that. Did he examine non-citizens voting? So to say it was the safest election, sure, I agree with your statement if you're referring to foreign intervention. But if you're saying it's the safest election based on no dead people voted, no non-citizens voted, no people broke the absentee rules, I think that's false. And I think that's what's upset a lot of people on our side is that they're taking your statement to mean, oh, well, there was no problem in the elections. I don't think you examined any of the problems that we've heard here. So really, you're just referring to something differently is what I, the way I look at it. There you go. Rand Paul saying that the election was stolen. 
don't know if that's quite what he said, but pointing out, um, uh, you know, some good uh, well, misdirections. Verbatim, Basil. Hold what? on, the verbatim. Oh. But the fraud happened. The election in many ways was stolen. There you go. I mean, that's like pretty pretty verbatim. Okay, yeah. The fraud happened. Sure. The election was pretty much stolen. So, I mean, I'm not I'm not putting words in his mouth when I say that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. But the thing that I think is interesting is Rand Paul is talking about, oh, I don't think there was any foreign interference, which is not what the, the, the citizen journalists are saying. They're saying there's a lot of foreign uh, interference, especially China. With Dominion, the machines, and you know all that kind of stuff. There's, right. there's some paper paper trails there. Well, I mean, even just on its face, <laughs> the fact that Dominion and uh, Smartmatic are basically foreign-run companies uh, that right. would count as foreign interference, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have to see if anything comes out of it. Obviously, the they voted uh, on the 14th, and Biden got the 270 electoral votes. And then on the sixth of January, that'll become official if they if they get you know if, uh, if they follow the Constitution. There's some other things that Trump can do to potentially pull it off here, but that's neither here nor there. I hope you're enjoying the show. Just keeps Are getting more exciting. <laughs> yes, you couldn't write uh, you couldn't write it better than it's happening. No, but yeah, there you go. That's the election update. We we don't like to to you know meddle or pedal or whatever too much in the election stuff because there's a lot of other shows doing it and every one of those shows is coming at it from either the right or the left there's very few who are trying to analyze what's going on uh, objectively although i guess people on the conservative aisle will say that they're looking at it more objectively yeah, than everybody than else everybody thinks they're things. being objective but the point is being right. you know not having a partisan bias is uh pretty difficult but there certainly is some pretty objective uh <laughs> things to object to as far as yeah. the potential evidence and uh it's certainly is far from over we never expected it to be quick yep yep so there you go. That's our little election thing. Uh, again, it may or may not come up as an adjacent to some of the things we report on uh, throughout the show. Yeah. And, um, but I don't uh, think there's much of Send Jess over on Twitch <laughs> mentions, does anybody remember the time Basil had a super awkward Canary Cry radio interview with Rand Paul? That's right. I did That's have right. a chance to sit down with Rand Paul one time. It just <laughs> happened to be uh, something that was, you know, <laughs> something that happened once. What what year was that? Do you remember? Oh, it must have been 2014. Yeah, something like that. 2014, 2015. This was back when he was kind of playing around with the idea of uh, running for president. And he uh, was getting the word out about the Federal Reserve and all this type of stuff. He was feeling out the waters. I almost want to say it was before... Hmm, I don't know. I'm going to have to look uh, at the, the dates on some things, but it was very fun. And yes, I was very nervous. It was an in-person interview. And it was one of those things where like his security people were like, what are you going to ask? What are you talking about? Where are you going to be? How far are you going to sit away from them? Let me see your microphone. Uh, it's like this whole thing. And there's uh, all the security guys were like standing around the room. So it was a, uh, it was you an awkward. Really nervous. I, I was very nervous. <laughs> there's a lot of reasons remember, to be nervous. 
I remember you were like, oh, I had about 10 minutes with him. And the first question you asked was like, I like your sweater or whatever it was. He was wearing was a pretty collar. funny, <laughs> you know, just trying to break the, break ice. the ice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Very limited time to ask really hard hitting questions. But yeah. hey, let's talk about your sweater. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, just just for people out there, Rand Paul has seen your face. That's true. Right. He's the only wearing a mask. I mean, they wouldn't. <laughs> no, no, yeah, that was walking with the mask. They probably would not let me uh, interview him if I was wearing sunglasses and a fake beard. <laughs> it would have made his security guys even much more uh, uncomfortable. Actually, I have a pretty fun, I had a pretty fun picture I took with him. Um, just kind of lives lives floating around um okay let's get on with the show i think real quick before we get into the the <laughs> the hard-hitting stuff let's talk about flippy for a second flippy update. Do you want that? that's right folks the flippy update if this is your first time uh flippy is the colloquial name for the disembodied robot arms that are taking our jobs enslaving our children and in some cases flirting with our spouses we uh, use talking about or flippy as a proxy conversation to discover all the new and interesting ways that the robots are taking over the world um this time i want to come from a site called builtrobotics.com and builtrobotics.com is actually the official website uh, for a company that creates AI uh, robotic construction equipment, construction vehicles. And we like to discover all the different uh, jobs that robots are actively taking from people around the world. And of course, uh, flipping burgers, uh, making cocktails, uh, making smoothies, things like that. Uh, those are all going out the window. It's Oh, as well as some nursing and medical care jobs are uh, at risk as well. I thought this was interesting because it was the first time that uh, some big, big construction work is being taken. Now, let's see here. On the front page says robots that build the world. Do you want to play that little video build there? Better. Yeah, right. Sure. Uh-oh. I don't mean it to go into full view. Oh, it's got to go into full view to play. Eh. Can you see it? Oh, it's got like music. Yeah, forget it. I'll just read it. Uh, it says, meet the robots. Built Robotics's mission is to build the robots that build the world. Build back better. By upgrading off-the-shelf heavy equipment with AI guidance systems, built technology enables machines to operate fully autonomously. So this is not a remote-controlled uh you know bulldozer this is fully autonomous heavy machinery then they go a long way uh, to say safe by design our robots are equipped with a multi-layer safety system to ensure 100 percent safe operation the fleet has worked for over 10,000 hours with a perfect safety record and then uh i don't know they mention a few things well, like I was just going to say perfect safety record. Is that because there's no humans or animals in sight of these machines? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Yeah. What exactly does count as perfect safety? You know, it's fun because that little picture that they have next to uh, the, 
that uh, header there is a picture of a robotic uh, bulldozer pushing some dirt around and a blurry dog running by really quick. So I think we're led to believe Object detected that this, yes, this bulldozer will not hit your dog. Shows a little thing there. Yes. Object detected. Um, it's time to build. They say construction is needed now more than ever. Critical infrastructure needs to be maintained or rebuilt. Construction dollars must deliver stronger ROI and job sites need more efficient tools. That's right. None of these inefficient humans. New technology are the foundation of economic growth and let us rise to meet our greatest challenges. Then they, <laughs> uh, they mention a few statistics here. We've got a $2.1 trillion infrastructure funding gap, unfunded required infrastructure spending through 2025. So those are, um, you know, infrastructure projects that are not yet funded, presumably by the government. And somehow robotic bulldozers will uh, help us with that. We've got 7.3 million uh, shortfall in new housing units. New families are forming faster than houses are being built. Uh, that seems a little questionable to me, but that's okay. They're citing the Wall Street Journal there. And then uh, further on, it says infrastructure report card. We get a D plus. Our infrastructure is crumbling. Demand new techniques for repair yes a d D plus (laughs) good job american society of civil engineers yes well it's kind of like they wanted to say f but that's just this is america we don't get f's here that's from the american society of civil engineers Now, taking on the challenge as our world continues to grow and evolve, so does our need to rethink how we build. Built Robotics is creating 21st century solutions for today's challenges. And then uh, they've got some quotes and stuff. But there you go. You know, when you talk about the future of robots taking our jobs, a lot of times we think of unskilled repetitive labor that uh, usually are putting, you know, 16 year olds uh, in jeopardy, whether it be uh, baristas or uh, things like that. Of, of course, occasionally the uh, the occasional metal uh, metal medical worker is at risk. But in this case, you know, throughout our exploration of Flippy construction and especially you know uh, specialized construction jobs like driving these heavy machines seemed to have been safe for a while but now with the advent of course of automatic uh, not automatic autonomous cars and things like that um yeah, it's put it's put heavy machine operators in a little bit of a pickle as well they're boasting that these are much more efficient a much more uh uh, precise, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and of course, you don't have to pay for medical insurance, uh, which traditionally construction jobs uh, can be a little dangerous. So there you go. Uh, I don't know this. This one kind of makes there's something about driving tractors or the idea of uh, you know tractors being operated by human beings that has such an inspiring place in my life. I mean, I've never been a heavy machine operator, but you know, tractors are cool, man. Growing up, you see those guys driving bulldozers and you just think they're the coolest in the world. Now it's just gonna be the AI and. You know, when the AI goes totally rogue, 
an army of excavators and bulldozers, it's a little harder to stop than some of the uh, Boston robotics uh, dogs walking around. Well, I have confidence in the Trump prophecy bulldozer guy. Remember him? <laughs> yes. From I the do. summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that guy is going to make sure that these robotic bulldozers are taken out. Yeah. We got to get them a wig or something. Um, okay. There you go. That's the flippy update for the day. All right. Well, you have a few. Oh, before we get into some of uh, the brief updates, um, I did want to bring up because your your call dropped in the last episode, and I had to run solo for a little bit. Uh, but you wanted to touch on the Facebook stuff, mm, uh, yeah. Facebook uh, facing lawsuits uh, from the government. Big ones. And since then, yeah, there's been a few other lawsuits that that have been, and there's always lawsuits against Facebook and stuff. But these seem to be a little bit bigger. Reuters just reported. Uh, Texas alleges Google had unlawful deal with Facebook and new lawsuit. Uh, Apple and Facebook are locked in an epic battle over privacy. That's not the thing. What about this one? Google, Facebook had illegal deal to rig ad market, Texas says. Uh, Facebook attempts to vilify Apple tastes like sour grapes. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Australia. Australia also suing Facebook over user data echoing U.S. antitrust case. And that was the big one, the antitrust case with uh, Facebook to see if Facebook can be broken up. Yeah. Um, so what, what are your, uh, you got some thoughts on well, uh, the story know, here? We didn't really get into it too much. Are you reading from the, uh, the hill, the hill.com, that one? Do you have a different article? No, I have a whole bunch of different ones. Yeah, because- yeah. So there's all sorts of ones. Basically, the, the one thing to keep in mind is that, you know, Facebook is now facing lawsuits, not just from Uh, other companies not just from states which has happened in the past but you know there's federal governments around the world opening lawsuits against facebook and of course when we consider the uh the panopticon the new world order the uh, control mechanisms um in in a lot of the cases that we speak about them you know we kind of talk about them in a homogenous sort of sense um but this is really interesting interesting because what we're seeing is sort of a battle of the titans between governments and uh, uh, I guess Silicon Valley. I'm trying to think of the right category um, because Google has a number of these going on as well. So as we begin to build back better and move into the Great Reset, it feels like there are some uh, governments that feel a little bit more threatened uh, by these big Silicon Valley corporations when it comes to the the divvying out of power as the world uh, rebuilds, quote unquote. Um, So, yeah, you know, this is it's interesting because, you know, a lot of times we talk about these control mechanisms as one big homogenous evil entity. But even within the ranks of the, you know, New World Order, uh, Great Reset gang, there are uh, there's battles for power, it seems. Well, it's a gamification if you're Satan sitting on the throne of the world mm-hmm. and everybody wants to get to your throne, you're going to allow them to eat each other on the way up. <laughs> right. And, right. Uh, just, just some of the things here. Justice Department sued Google on October 20th. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission sued Facebook on December 9th. 
and the uh, state attorney general uh, Facebook was sued by a coalition of 46 states along with the District of Columbia and Guam. Wow. <laughs> even Guam is like, yep, wow. count us in. We even got Who are the some, other four uh, states? Who are the four states that didn't? Whereas uh, the District of Columbia, which is D.C. and Guam, yeah. would jump in. I guess D.C. makes sense, but Guam. Yeah. Uh, more America than four of the states there. But anyway, yeah, I mean, this is a big deal. We'll see what happens to... Uh, you know, Section 230, that's the one Trump was harping on about. And uh, the, the 230 thing is an issue, I think. Uh, it allows these platforms to be, uh, to, you know, it protects free speech on these platforms on one hand. But as they editorialize uh, content that is published by third parties, that's when it becomes iffy. That, yeah. That's when they start acting like publishers. It's the legal protections be, for social media yeah, but, networks. Right, but they, the platforms themselves, can't be sued like a, a, a publisher because of Section Two Thirty. It just needs to be amended. Right, um, but we'll see what happens. Uh, I don't know that it's going to break up the big tech companies, but certainly it could set them back yeah. a little bit. Well, the interesting but, thing as well is that not all these lawsuits are about Two Thirty. You know, a lot of them are antitrust lawsuits. You've got, I mean, you've really got quite the gamut of. Uh, quite the selection of lawsuits that Facebook is choosing, which I find is interesting because, uh, you know, if it was just a bunch of monopoly lawsuits or if it was just a bunch of uh, Section 230 lawsuits, then they could kind of come at the whole group of lawsuits with a united front. But because all these lawsuits are addressing different facets of the system, um, they're really going to have to work hard to fight on multiple fronts. Uh, it seems, you know, you never know with these big companies like Facebook, very powerful tech companies, um, they can, they seem to pull off a lot of things nobody else can, but they certainly got their uh, work cut out for them. And whether, you know, it's kind of tedious going through all the details of each and every lawsuit, but what we're watching is uh, really the struggle for power in a post-pandemic uh, right, you know, build back better type of situation. Because if they're able to break up Facebook, uh, even diminish their Section 230 protections, as well as you know, win a few of these other little things, Facebook is going to be in a, in a heap of trouble, not at risk of going out of business, but at risk of losing the sort of uh, monolithic power that they hold worldwide. Yeah, and there's a really good article here on EFF. That's the Electronic, uh, what is it? The Electronic Frontier Foundation. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll put the link in the chat here. But the, the article is called Free Speech, Only as Strong as the Weakest Link. And it has a diagram, which is really helpful, to show you your speech and then where you are tied up uh, and where the audience is tied up and where the weak links are. Mm -hmm. And and part of the issue here is building something that is uh, completely separate because we, right now we depend so much on third-party platforms right. like YouTube, Facebook, all these big companies, or not just companies, but services to get our speech out there. And that's part of the issue. That's why they can sort of you know knock us down. Um, but I will say there are some very smart people building some things that 
uh, are, are going to maybe restructure some of this and it's going to take a lot of people and, and a lot and a lot of money really to make it truly happen because it's a, uh, it starts with the hardware layer and that's really expensive. Um, but I, I'll just say that there's a lot of people working on some things that, uh, could break up the internet in general in terms of usage. And, uh, there could be, a, a, a main internet out there and then, uh, you know, a, not not an illegal internet, but one that uh, the you know, so for example, people like you and I might choose to use because free speech is much more open and free yeah. on that internet. Yeah, well, we'll that's that's been uh, it's been interesting. There's been a number of uh, stakeholders or people who have uh, you know different ideas of what the future of the internet looks like and when you put them all together and you try to figure out what everybody wants it looks like much how with mastodon you know everybody can have their own uh social media network and they federate it kind of looks like the internet could go a route like that uh in certain cases which will also be very interesting to see how the current power structure would appreciate that yeah and I appreciate people mentioning, you know, different platforms, Rumble and Parlor and stuff like that. The, the issue is they're still using all of the the infrastructure that was built by the same people, mm-hmm. and that's that's the big barrier here that people don't really re- realize at at this time. Like, yeah, you can put together a different website, but if you're still using all the same tools as yeah. what's already out there, right. it's going to be shut down just as much. Yeah, we're talking about infrastructure level of the internet not just using a different facebook a different social media we're talking about infrastructure level of uh networks of servers and data centers and things like that where you know there could be for instance two separate internets that may or may not be able to communicate with each other so yep keep your eyes out for that because uh again People are working on it. Yep. We'll see how it all comes together in the next few years here. But let's get to some updates. We interrupt this broadcast to give you a brief update. By the end of this timely interruption, you'll be thoroughly updated. 33 is the number of completion of the Great War. 33 is the Illuminati dog whistle. And speaking of Google and all these social media platforms, this is blog.google. And they published an article on the Google News Initiative titled, these 33 projects tackle diversity in local news. Oh, good. <laughs> 33. Of course, 33. <laughs> Why not? Uh, so there you go. I'm not going to even get into the, the actual content there. Yeah, it's just I think we can get mentioning the headline. Uh, this other one is from the Wall Street Journal, WSJ.com, volume 33, number 11, Ooh. a new era. There you go. Volume 33. What is that about? Is that a book or something? Uh, it's, it's the style and substance um, section of the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they talk about the under new management and it talks about how Biden's coming in and he's going to oh, fix things or whatever. It's just like and, a, uh, a worldview building article or something about moving yeah. into the future. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Style and substance. 3311. Both. 311. Next up, we uh, um, got to mention the 666. This is 
WXYZ.com from Detroit. This is an ABC news outlet. Headline, frozen tomatoes thrown at Wyandotte, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Wyandotte family's cars, 666 written on windows and hood. Oh, who are uh, these Wyandotte family? Well, apparently they're just a, a normal family hoping for answers after frozen tomatoes were thrown through the windows of several of their cars. And 666 was written on the windows, hood, and windshield of their vehicles. Why frozen tomatoes? Why would you go through the trouble of freezing a tomato if you could just throw a rock at that point? You're basically just trying to turn fruits into rocks. Well, because once they melt, you're going to have more of a mess on your hands. Okay, okay. I get you. You You know these people... You know, those sinful generation kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't know <laughs> why, why they would do, you know, hey, tomatoes and break stuff in 666. Yeah. So well. there's some uh, disenfranchised young people, I think. So rebellious. Around. Yeah. Being rebellious. There you go. Uh, next up here. Snitches get stitches. This was, uh, this was going around. TorontoSun.com, Warmington, top Ontario doctors' hot mic moment spreads fast. (laughs) Yeah, this was great. Yeah. uh, While there may now be a needle to treat the coronavirus, there's no vaccine that can cure the dangers of a hot mic or mask the embarrassment. Uh, Dr. David Williams, Ontario's chief medical officer of health, and Dr. Barbara Yaffe, associate chief medical officer of health, have joined the list of countless others in and around microphones who know that when something goes public that wasn't meant to, it spreads on social media far and wide. And what did they say here? Let's uh, pay close attention, see what they say. I don't know why I bring all these papers. I never look at them. Oh, you're giving numbers. I do. I go, oh, oh, oh. I said that. Did you really that? <laughs> I just say whatever they write down for me. That's my thing. <laughs> there you go oh she sounds so innocent when she says that oh yeah what why do we have all these papers we never look at him and then uh we just yeah we just say what we're told yeah. basically we just read what they write down for us <laughs> which on one hand yes is uh not a great look for uh, doctors on television coming on to give their professional opinion about covid19 on the other hand it is tv and almost everything is scripted on tv shouldn't come as too much of a surprise yeah even the show the <laughs> scripted basil we're not on tv yeah, we're on the internet for now. <laughs> Interweb TV. Yeah. Uh, yep. There you go. I mean, yep. Just add it to the list of uh, uh, blurred. Uh, what am I trying to say? Mess ups. Hot mic. Yeah. Lack. lack whoopsie of, daisies. Uh, Back whoopsie where daisies. I come from, we call yeah. them whoopsie daisies. Very good. Yeah. All right. Next up, I want you to take this one here. Sure. Mm-hmm. I got a little update here from. Oh, he stepped all over the jingle. I didn't know you had a jingle. You're going down, Olstein. Okay, it's going to happen. This is coming from NewYorkPost.com. Joel Osteen's Lakewood Church received $4.4 million in COVID-19 PPP loan. And which is easy to get upset about because 
What in the world are they doing over there? But just to mention, multimillionaire televangelist Joel Osteen's Lakewood Church in Texas netted $4.4 million in bailouts through the federal COVID-19 relief program records show. The Houston megachurch, the largest in the nation, with 52,000 weekly congregants, received the Forgivable Paycheck Protection Program loan in late July, the Houston Business Journal reported Sunday. The loan was the third highest in the Houston area during all of July and August, the outlet noted citing federal data. Lakewood's PPP check was sent to 368 full and part-time employees. Spokesman Donald Loff Iloff told the Houston Business Journal, he said in-person services that were suspended from March 15th through October 18th due to the COVID-19 pandemic impacted, quote, its ability to collect substantial donations during those services. So, you know, it's uh, I will say people, it's easy to get uproarious about Joel Olstein getting four point four million dollars from the uh, from the government. Um, but I'm glad to know that 368 uh, ministry workers, you know, hopefully they're able to feed their kids throughout the, the pandemic uh, with it's that. About, yeah, it's about $12,000 per person if you divide it. I know it's full-time and part-time, so it's, it's not exactly that. Yeah. Uh, $4.4 million divided by 368, I believe. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me do it one more time just to make sure. Uh, 368, yeah just under $12,000 per person. So yep. not as egregious as it seems, but right. still. Yeah. yeah well, plus you've got all the anti church people who just hate it when churches get any money from the government. I, I, that is interesting though. The separation of church and state people were not very happy about churches receiving, um, PPP loans considering their uh, tax exempt status. However, we got to remember that, yeah, almost 400 real people, um, you know, got to feed their kids during the time. Yeah, but also small businesses need to, too. So, yeah, it's a it's a difficult thing. You know, you're you're shutting you're giving four point four million to the Lakewood Church there, but then the small churches. Well, ain't that just how it goes? Yeah, small (laughs) of my church didn't get anything from it. Yeah, yeah, that's how it goes. the The big guys win, the little guys die. Yeah, part of the process. Uh, Moving on here, we have an interesting update here. Christopher. Okay. This is from the FDA. FDA.gov. Ooh. FDA approves first of its kind intentional genomic alteration in line of domestic pigs for both human food potential therapeutic uses. Oh, interesting. This is a pretty uh, long title there, but. Uh, Let me read a little bit here just to get an idea of what's going on. This was released on December 14th, 2020. Today, the U.S. Food Food and Drug Administration approved a first-of-its-kind intentional genomic alteration, IgA, in a line of domestic pigs, referred to as gal-safe pigs, which may be used for food or human therapeutics. This is the first IgA in an animal that the FDA has approved for both human food consumption and as a source for potential therapeutic uses. Um, 
Uh, okay, the IGA in gal-safe pigs is intended to eliminate alpha-gal sugar on the surface of the pigs' cells. People with alpha-gal syndrome may have mild or severe allergic reactions to alpha-gal sugar found in red meat. And, uh, quote, today's first ever approval of an animal biotechnology product for both food and as a potential source for biomedical use represents a tremendous milestone for scientific innovation said FDA Commissioner Stephen M. Hahn, M.D. Quote, as part of our public health mission, the FDA strongly supports advancing innovative animal biotechnology products that are safe for animals, safe for people, and achieve their intended results. Mm. Today's action underscores the success of the FDA in modernizing our scientific processes to optimize our risk-based approach and advance cutting-edge innovations in which consumers can have confidence. And it goes into some more stuff here, but very interesting, uh, not the least of which is on the heels of uh, Elon Musk's pig, <laughs> Neuralink pig experiments in the brain of pigs. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, happy pigs, as, as long as they're happy, Elon Musk is happy. happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so there you go, the FDA approving genomic alterations, and this is probably just the beginning when it comes to this type of thing. Uh you know, alter allowing the alteration of animal genes and um, not yeah. even allowing for the alteration, but <laughs> deeming it safe for human consumption, which human consumption is, it, yeah, the yeah. next level. Of- yeah, which is a whole other thing. And I wonder what these therapeutic effects they're talking about is. It's maybe some uh, uh, byproducts used in medicine or something. Yeah, I think they were talking about, uh, oh, here's, uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, I, I didn't see too much. Oh, the, the tick bites. Uh, yeah, the condition in the U.S., the condition most often, the condition that they, you know, people get from tick bites, and they're saying that uh, this, this you know, alteration can potentially help them. So that's where the therapeutics. Chimeras, they're coming for you. You know, it's like change DNA to help people. Now, right? if only they were required to label it as GMO. Oh, that's a good question. Are they gonna are they gonna brand these pigs? Yeah, I think it's been state by state uh, so far whether you label GMO meats or not. I forgot where we landed. Mark of the pigs. Oh, good one. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. Yeah, just keep an eye on stuff because uh, you never know how this is all going to eventually turn out. Actually, we do. We're just, yeah, I was you know, say, tracking I'm along. Sure, we do. <laughs> but, uh, pretty wild that we're at this point here. I mean, this type of thing would have been big news, you know, four or five years ago. Now it's like doesn't even get mentioned, right? By news outlets. Okay, the next one here, real quick. It's got to be biblical. This one from the Jerusalem Post. Oman, Indonesia, likely next countries to forge ties with Israel. Oh, interesting. And, uh, yeah. So this is, um, I, uh, this depends on some of my views about modern, uh, Israel mm-hmm. and not the people, but the, you know, the government involved there, the Zionist regime and, um, how it might play a role in the end times. And in in the book of Revelation, it is my opinion, and I know people might disagree with me, that's fine. My opinion that Mystery Babylon mentioned in Revelation 17 and 18 is eschatological Jerusalem. Maybe not Israel or anything right now, but eschatological Jerusalem. 
and it talks about how the you know the mystery of Babylon fornicates with all the you know kings of the world, and so this kind of plays into that you know all these ties that Israel is making with the neighboring nations there. Um, it just seems to be aligned with that type of uh, interpretation of some of that text. And again, you don't have to agree with me on the interpretation, but uh, just thought I'd bring it to your attention uh, because it is kind of another feather in the cap of those who say that uh, eschatological Jerusalem and end times Israel is part of uh, mystery Babylon and part of what will be uh, a, a main role in how the end times unfolds with the man of sin. Uh, you know, many people think he's not going to be a Jewish man, but uh, there's good evidence scripturally that he will present himself as the Jewish Messiah and uh, protect Israel against enemies of Israel. And that'll be uh, interesting for American evangelicals to deal with when it comes to that, because, um, you know, if, if uh, there's a man that comes, a charismatic military leader that comes out and defends Israel against, for for example, you know, uh, Islamic forces that surround Israel and hate Israel. American evangelicals are all about that, you know, and that could be part of the deception. So just wanted to mention that uh, in our updates and moving on. Speaking of the beast system, beast, 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 beast system. Actually, that's the wrong jingle. But close enough, because uh, this is the one I wanted to bring up here. Most modeling is kind of acting like a beast, but making it fashion. Beast. But then make it fashion. Yeah, this is coming from Toronto.CityNews.ca. Canadian fashion mogul Peter Nygaard charged with sex trafficking. Authorities in the United States say Canadian fashion mogul Peter Nygaard has been indicted on nine charges, including racketeering and sex trafficking. A news release from the United States Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, which is a very active uh, U.S. Attorney's Office. They have brought so many they were the ones who um came after epstein actually Uh, and they're i believe they're the ones currently handling the prosecution of uh, gislaine maxwell which we haven't heard a lot from but i thought this was interesting this guy uh, he's being indicted on charges similar although smaller in scope um that we saw with Epstein, although he kind of just looks like the type of guy who would be involved in some Epstein shenanigans. <laughs> Unfortunately, I mean, I don't want to profile the guy or anything, but oh, um, yeah, the alleged the allegations include, you know, him using his uh, fashion. He's, I guess he's some big fashion designer. I uh, didn't know much about him before this, um, but of course using that to manipulate um underage and uh, abused uh, mostly women, I believe, um, into uh, all sorts of unfortunate situations. And I th- I'm curious if this was a Ghislaine Maxwell, uh, if she copped to it, if she's given, given tips mm, in order to get out of, of her own situation. Yeah, throw some people under the bus to protect her own skin. Yeah, Yeah. it's possible. It's been a little while since there's been, um, you know, an influx of info about uh, 
situations, not situations, cases or indictments or things like that stemming from the Epstein case. Uh, but I think considering this was the same uh, attorneys, Southern District of New York attorney's office uh, that is bringing all the prosecution on the Epstein case now coming after this guy, you have to assume that uh, they're connected in one way or another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least they caught a guy. Yeah. You know? At least there's somebody getting going down. And obviously, it, this is just a, uh, when this happens, it is kind of throwing certain people under the bus and not taking down the entire thing. You know, just, just a small well, snippet. Well, that's what it was. Not, it was nice to see that this was at least, you know, it's, it's pretty big time it's guy bigger. as yeah. far as, you know, whatever. The, the amounts of... Uh, uh, crimes that they're coming after him for are significantly lower than uh, we're on the Epstein case. But, you know, everyone that gets justice is a win. Yep. Uh, but there's more. Speaking of the beast system. Beast, 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 beast system. Artificial intelligence. This was a very interesting story. My gosh, there's so many pop-ups on this website. This is govconwire.com. Govconwire.com. Weird. Headline, Microsoft helps form National Council for Artificial Intelligence. Yeah, more, more councils is what we Ooh. need. Yes, more bureaucracy. It's the only way to save the world. Yeah. Organizations across the U.S. financial services, technology, and academic industries, including Microsoft, have announced the formation of a new National Council for Artificial Intelligence, the NCAI. How many the of these can we possibly have? I just, we just, we need more, we need more <laughs> groups. The company said Friday, the council will work to expand technology solutions to solve challenges within the industry. The council also includes the Brookings Institute, oh, wow. uh, CUNY. Uh, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, MasterCard, NASDAQ, Plug and Play, SUNY, uh, University of Central Florida, and Visa. Seems like Visa and MasterCard, they're popping up everywhere. Yeah, they really all have. Kinds of, uh, all kinds of different things they're getting their fingers into. Yeah, they're getting uh, involved with, uh, actually, it was a comment blocked by producer Mark, I think, talking about MasterCard and Visa suddenly being so concerned about... Uh, uh, certain porn sites and the possibility of trafficking happening, which yeah. is a weird thing for MasterCard and Visa to be, I don't know, getting involved with. Mm -hmm. Quote, the goal of the newly created NCAI is to establish a pragmatic coalition with public private partnerships. Always seems to come up in the financial services sector to identify and address significant societal and industry barriers said Gretchen O'Hara, Vice President of AI and Sustainability Strategy, Microsoft US. Again, this is part of the Great Reset. We're actually seeing all these organizations um, put together these councils and different moves. We've been reporting on a whole bunch of these things going on for the last several episodes. And it's the Great Reset. You know, Everyone's kind of waiting for this moment. But it's like, no, this is a slow rolling thing and it's happening very quietly almost you know the, the big announcement of the reset but then uh you know the the visa mastercard and federal reserve being involved in a bunch of this stuff is a dead giveaway that this is part of the great reset 
and uh, you know, <laughs> more bureaucracy to control AI, or at least keep keep a tab on AI and include allegedly. These big, yeah, allegedly. That's yeah, you know, that's what they're saying. But including uh, include uh, having included these economic juggernauts as part of the discussion is definitely a telltale sign that this is a part of the reset. And, and of course, Microsoft leading the way. I'm sure they have the, uh, the best interest of humanity in mind by putting together this oh, council. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They want to help humans. Yes, of course. AI and why not so, uh, you know, put people in charge like credit card companies? <laughs> and the Federal Reserve. Yeah. They're trustworthy people. They've always had our best... Best interests in mind. Okay, yeah. I got one last update before we start getting into some uh, longer stories here. Speaking of the beast system, coming from biometricupdate.com, uh, Mexico approves rollout of national biometric digital ID card, putting them on the list of companies coming out with uh, not just uh, digital Our country. What did I say? Companies? Yeah, Company, countries. Uh, which is, that's a really interesting slip up because it does speak to what's taking place right now. Yeah. Uh, with the Facebook thing we, we talked about at the beginning here. But yeah, anyway, go sure. on. Um, so yes, Mexico approves rollout of national biometric digital ID card. The Chamber of Deputies in Mexico has approved the creation of a new general law on population, human mobility, and interculturality, paving the way for a new national digital ID system. Forbes Mexico reports the new law, which passed with 426 votes in favor, three abstentions, and one against... Who is this one against? Will enable the Ministry of the Interior to create a database with the personal data of Mexicans, including biometrics. A cedula única de identidad digital will have uh, will also be created and will become the official identification document for all Mexicans. The new digital ID will be issued by the Mexican Secretariat uh, for Home Affairs to the entire population of the country as well uh, as well as to mexicans residing abroad citizens will be able to exhibit the document either in physical format or through electronic devices the cedula will be free and will contain citizens names surnames date of birth place of birth nationality and biometric data together with a unique population registration key number wow that's like the scariest thing you could call that population registration key according to the yucatan times the new digital id will also contain information related to the certificate number of disability when applicable and self-inscription as a member of the indigenous peoples or afro-mexican population representative cesar augustin fernandez perez said the cedula will enable the government to address demographic changes mortality fertility and international migration the socio-demographic uh, information and statistics will help lawmakers formulate public policies in the best interest of the country morena added the cedula unica de 
Identidad Digital will currently not replace voters' cards or passports. Mexico, Mexico is currently adopting biometric applications at an increasingly rapid rate. In August, for example, Santander Mexico rolled out integrated biometrics fingerprint scanners to register uh, millions of customers. In the same month, Invixium formed a distribution partnership with Siasa to bring biometric access control products to the Mexican market. Now, I read that whole thing, Gans, because what is missing? Hmm. I don't know. Vaccinations. Oh. They don't even mention that your digital uh, (laughs) identification uh, profile, it'll have every single thing about you, and it's happens to be uh, coming right at the moment when vaccinations are going to be rolling out worldwide and uh, noticeably they did not mention vaccination data Um, so that'll be interesting whether that was a lie of omission or what yeah i was thinking more that's a good point you brought up nice observation i was thinking about the the cartel you know, what are they going to do? Are the government's just going to turn a blind eye to the cartel, let them keep doing what they're doing? Or are we moving into an official digital cyber, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, special ID for them? Well, you know, continue there's... With their work? <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure they'll be in the same system as everyone else. But, you know, an interesting, um, uh, I don't know, comparison to make or angle as well is, of course, with immigration to the United States. If all Mexicans yeah. are registered with this digital ID, you know, I, I could see how maybe somehow the United States would be involved in pushing this forward. Inst- interesting how it was almost unanimous, uh, unanimously voted uh, in their their lawmaking procedures there with one uh, one nay, one lonely nay in the sea of yays and a couple absentees. And, and he will get a phone call and a knock at the door. Yes. In the next few days. It was the, uh, well, capitulate. And, well, you, you know, it is interesting regarding your cartel angle as well is, you know, famously, and this is not strictly uh, reserved for Mexico, if this happens all over the world, but, you know, famously, Mexican lawmakers being on the payroll for certain cartels, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that that would go a long way to explain a unanimous vote, nearly unanimous vote. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so uh, regarding your comment about the cartels, sounds like they're all for it. Yeah, and the yeah the exchange of digital identification information between nations will be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, depending on who's in charge here in the U.S., it might be another uh, selling point for you a U.S. version of this. You know, Mexico yeah. has it, so we must create something interoperable and could be used as a conservative uh, talking point as well. Pro digital ID, you know. Well, we, you know, we must be able to compare databases with Mexico for illegal immigration purposes. And Trump will come out and say, we'll build a wall. It'll be a digital wall. We will do it. firewall. It's a firewall. <laughs> I don't All know right, what that means, so, but it sounds hot. It's, it's hot. <laughs> your, 
Trump is uh, kind of weird sounding. It's, but it's, anyway, it's the Alex. Uh, what's the, what's his name? Who did the Saturday Night Live version of Trump? Oh, Alec uh, Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. That's Alec Baldwin doing Trump. Not so Trump. Basil doing Alec Baldwin doing Trump. Yes. We're getting getting way down the rabbit trail. Yes, there. that's what it is. Okay, well, those are the updates, which took us an hour, but hey, there's a lot of updates. There's a lot of stories, and we want to make sure we at least touch on mm. the things out there to let you guys know. Yes, real uh, quick. I'm, I'm yep. sorry. I don't want to butt in. Uh, mentioned uh, by producer Mark, uh, but a Digi ID still won't be required to vote um, ah. specifically in Mexico. And that's the thing, you know, they... They, they love documenting every person, not just Mexico, but governments around the world. But when it comes to uh, securing a voting system, they want nothing to do with it. Coincidence. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, g- given the story we just read uh, about the digital ID in Mexico, I'm wondering if I should uh, mention, if I should read through uh, the Canary Cry Dutchman's email connected which one's the canary cried dutchman lloyd. oh you mean lloyd yeah um yeah why don't you do that yeah now? i'll just Might do well. this real quick this was from yeah. our Cana- our official canary cried dutchman thank you uh producer lloyd dear basil and gons hereby i deliver to you another quick rona update sent to you from the eastern part of sodom yesterday evening at 7 p.m dutch local time president mark ruta held his rona speech like i mentioned in my previous update the dutch government announced in cooperation with the rivm it's a, a dutch who clone Uh, that all non-essential businesses will be closed until further notice. Not even an end date on that. I hate that. Uh, In the Netherlands, we have a digital social security system called DigiD, short for digital ID. This system links all your personal information like social security number, home address, etc. into one government app. Today, a Dutch news show announced that DigiD will also record which vaccine has been administered to you. None in my case, he says, and that you can use this as proof of getting a vaccine. They said that you'll need to show this as proof if you want to go to a concert or travel via airplane. So basically, that sums up to any place where you're close to other people for a longer period of time. As an excuse for recording the vaccine per person, they told that they'll be using it to better monitor the side effects. Of course, we saw very similar apps coming out here of the different vaccines on different guinea pigs. Oh, I mean people. Thanks for the great show. I'll keep you posted. God bless Lloyd. Thank you very much, producer Lloyd. And uh, yeah, so there you go. Similar systems being put in place uh, in the Netherlands and Mexico. I am on one hand, of course, we're we're all very worried about a digital all encompassing digital ID in the United States. But, you know, I got to give us credit. We've held off this long when many other countries in the world um, have not been able to to deflect the digital ID uh, tsunami. Yeah. You know, um, uh, <laughs> the only thing I can think of when uh, producer Lloyd mentioned the, the DigiD, DigiD yeah. or whatever, mm-hmm. it would be hilarious. I could just picture somebody and people in the chat are already kind of touching on it. They ask for your dig- DigiD mm-hmm. and you just, you just bust out. The, the didgeridoo. <laughs> <laughs>
And the- <laughs> wow, you just had a didgeridoo sound effect ready. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Where's your didgeridoo? You've never, <laughs> you've never <laughs> once ever played a didgeridoo sound, and you just had it ready. Hey, I'm I'm quick. You're on good. The trigger here. That's why you're a pro. Yeah. Okay. So there, so you, there go. you go. I just thought that I was a good spot happen. for that uh, email there. Yeah. That that I want to see that happen. That'll be our rebellion. That that <laughs> that'll be the sign that you know you know the that they're on your side. Yeah. Should we bust out the didgeridoo? Should we make a canary cry branded didgeridoo? We can sell oh, on the website. There you go. Uh. Yeah. That's okay. gonna put us on the map. Yeah. Do you want to bring the next story or? Yep. Let's do it. Okay. This is, uh, we got a couple things concerning masks. If you're working alone, wear a mask. The mask is not for you. It's to protect the people you care about. Ah, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. I don't want to interrupt, but I have to. I, I mean oh. to mention after the updates, uh, just to give everybody a reminder, if you've enjoyed the so- show so far, please give a thumbs up on YouTube or wherever you're watching. Um, it really helps uh, spread the show, convince the algorithms that we're worth uh, letting other people watch. Now that we've got our listener count has risen a little bit, uh, don't forget the thumbs up. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Okay. This is from Reuters.com. Wearing someone else's face. Hyper-realistic masks to go on sale in Japan. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Hyper-realistic. Oh, yeah. That's not creepy at all if you're watching on the screen there. Uh, A year into the coronavirus epidemic, a Japanese retailer has come up with a new take on the theme of facial camouflage. A hyper-realistic mask that models a stranger's features in three dimensions what and if you're watching the video here it is oh my creepy. gosh it that is, is terrifying <laughs> wow. it, it makes you look like a digital like kind of a deep yeah, fake you, in real life yeah you look like uh yeah not the d- deep fake what is it called oh what is that company that was making the people digital people ah, i forget anyways yes very realistic and i'm assuming that they count as uh now is this like a a real company or is this an art project i think there's a real company shohei okawara you got a link Uh, christmas is coming up i need one of these (laughs) uh shohei ikawara's uh okawara's masks won't protect you or others against the virus but they will lend you the exact appearance of an unidentified japanese adult whose features have been printed onto them Oh my mask gosh. shops. This is a quote. Mask shops in Venice probably do not buy or sell faces, but that is something that's likely to happen in fantasy stories. Okawara told Reuters, quote, I thought it would be fun to actually do that. <laughs> fun. <laughs> Basil's true. Basil's true. Love in the chat says Basil can be a POC. I, no. can, I can be a person <laughs> of color too. Finally. Um, the masks will go on sale early next year for 98,000 yen. That's about $950 oh my a gosh. piece okay. to his Tokyo shop, <clears throat> Kamenya Omote, whose products are popular as accessories for parties and theatrical performances. So there you go. They are wow. kind of uh, meant for that stuff. But mm-hmm. this one in particular is, uh, I guess, coming into use for mm-hmm. this particular reason. Okawara chose his model, whom he paid 40,000 yen for, from more than 100 applicants who sent him their photos when he launched the project 
in October. Wow. So the people whose face it actually is who will now be, you know, identified on uh, facial recognition cameras all over Japan got half as much. Uh, they got paid 500 bucks, basically. And he's selling right. each one for 900. Uh, so, okay. Well, yeah, he's a frugal uh, businessman. <laughs> An artisan then reworked the winning image created on a 3D printer. Initial inquiries suggested demand for the masks uh, for the masks will be strong, Okawara said. Uh, as is often, this is a quote, as is often the case with the customers of my shop, there are not so many people who buy face masks for specific purposes. Most see them as art pieces. Um, he plans to gradually add new faces, including some from overseas to the lineup. So, yeah, yeah some I mean, from overseas. There we go. Maybe <laughs> I just had a thought, which is I could get my face made, just add it to his uh, inventory there. And then I'm, you know, of course, the, the hope would be that my face would uh, be worn by thousands of people across the world getting read by facial recognition cameras. And then it would become like a guy fox mask, you know, it'd have to have big googly eyes on it. But um, this, uh, I do want to throw in a little wrench here. This, this might become much more handy than you think, especially with a story here that came out on nextgov.com a few days ago, mm-hmm. Intel agencies seek to perfect biometric, uh, biometric recognition from drones. Oh, and the, they're basically saying that, uh, you know, facial recognition is a main, uh, part of this is perfected by, uh, ERPA intelligence, advanced research projects right. activity. Um, to use drones to identify people from far away mm, yeah. and, uh, the solicitation call notes facial recognition has quote increasingly become the biometric modality best suited for intelligence community and DOD missions. But this, uh, but this Japanese guy said not so fast. <laughs> um, not identify me. It's like deep fakes in real life. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Crazy. But um, yeah, it's creepy, but also it's kind of like, Yeah. I could see myself using a fake face. And then if you put, if you put on a hat or a beanie or something, and then a mask, uh-huh. uh, on, like a face, you know, like a you know, face mask yep. type thing. Or, or wear a mask. hoodie or something. Yeah, wear a hoodie. You're definitely not going to be easily identified. Yeah, where you won't see the sort of sides of the mask either. It'll right. just, yeah. Well, yeah. I got a story about masks. If you're working alone, wear a mask. The mask's not for you. It's to protect the people you care about. NewYorkPost.com. The article's titled, uh, Wearing a Used Mask Could Be Worse Than No Mask Amid COVID-19 Study. Wearing a used mask could be more dangerous than not wearing one at all. When it comes to warding off COVID-19, a new study is found. A new three-layer surgical mask is 65% efficient in filtering particles in the air, but when used, that number drops to 25%, according to the study published Tuesday in the Physics of fluids. Researchers from the University of Massachusetts Lowell and California Baptist University say that masks slow down airflow, making people more susceptible to breathing in particles. Mm. And a dirty face mask can't effectively filter out the tiniest of droplets. Quote, it is natural to think that wearing a mask, no matter uh, new or old, should always be better than nothing. That's what Dr. Fauci 
Fauci told us, said author Jing Zheng Ji, quote, our results show that this uh, belief is only true for particles larger than five micrometers, but not for fine particles smaller than 2.5 micrometers. Will you look up COVID size real quick, just so we can compare that? To reach their findings, researchers used a computer model of a person wearing a pleated, of course, it has to be a computer model, okay, wearing a pleated three-layer surgical mask to track how the face covering affected airflow and how particles passed through. They also looked at how tiny droplets settled onto the face in the airway and where they land in the nose, pharynx, and deep lung. They found that wearing a mask significantly slows down airflow, reducing a mask's uh, efficacy and making a person more susceptible to inhaling aerosols into the nose where SARS-CoV-2 likes to lurk. Quote, in this study, we found that the protective efficacy of a mask for the nasal airway decreases at lower inhal inhalation flow rates, the study said. Let me read that again. In this study, we found that the protective efficacy of a mask for the nasal airway decreases at lower inhalation flow rates. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So they say a mask inherently slows your uh, breathing rate, of course. And at these slower breathing rates, uh, your mask isn't very effective. The pleats of a face mask also significantly affect airflow patterns and their efficacy changes with more use, the researchers found. The team plans to study how mask shapes affect protection from COVID-19. Quote, we hope public health authorities strengthen the current preventative measures to curb COVID-19 transmission, like choosing a more effective mask, wearing it properly for the highest protection and avoid using an excessively used expired surgical mask said G. A couple things on this. Um, I feel like number one, just right off the bat, that this I'm wondering if this study was funded by re, by uh, one time mask manufacturers. Yeah, it's possible. Stop reusing our masks. Buy, Buy more, more masks. Buy more. Yeah, this is a light bulb thing. What's the, the conspiracy with the light bulbs? Uh, the, the, um, oh God. I forget what it's called. Yeah, no, I know what it's called. We are pausing the show until I can figure <laughs> planned obsolescence. Planned obsolescence. Yes, Thank you. They build uh, so, in a, a fail rate to their thing. So you keep buying more. According to the USA Today fact checking, uh -huh. COVID-19 virus particle size is 125 nanometers, which is 0 0.125 microns or micrometers. <laughs> oh, good. So, so, so literally, they're just repeating the fact that these masks are significantly too small to have any effect on COVID-19. Yeah, so larger than five. So five uh, divided by 0. 0.12. Oops, sorry. But 40 times. Yeah, 40 times. Smaller than the smallest effective rate that these masks can protect yes. you against. And that makes yeah. sense. Uh, nothing to see here, folks. Well, you know, it's interesting how they make this whole article about how ineffective, uh, specifically reusing masks are. Uh, so go buy more masks, people. Uh, but by the way, the price of masks has gone out of control. I haven't bought any, but I saw some in the store. It was 15 masks for $40. Gosh. Yeah, it was crazy. Anyways, 
Moving on. Uh, Well, the quote at the end, we hope public health authorities strengthen the current preventative measures to curb COVID-19 transmission, like choosing a more effective mask, wearing it properly for the highest protection and avoid using an excessively used or expired surgical mask. You know where I also think that this will be used uh, as a case for is um, government mandated like an actual government mask, like the mask. Oh, yeah. None of this making your own masks. None of this, uh, you know, yeah, just put a sock over your nose. None of this stuff. You know, they they gave you some freedom at the beginning so you could kind of choose, make it a fashion statement. But, oh, no, by the way, those are literally not doing anything. So now that you're used to wearing masks, here's the government mandated official mask that we can fine you for not wearing yeah especially once the 100 days of mask wearing is implemented oh by uh alleged president elect how, smell, how, my is that, how is that a good thing like it's just crazy anyways i don't want to get stuck on masks here but uh very interesting uh, studies coming out <laughs> yep okay we got a few uh vaccine updates here this was originally published on wapo but i ran into a paywall so i'm going to report it from bgr.com Huzzah. here's what we know about the new coronavirus mutation that's spreading rapidly and uh, i'll read the bullet points here i guess we can go into the article but the bullet points have uk health officials have discovered a new coronavirus mutation that is spread rapidly in the uk Neither researchers nor health officials know whether the strain is more infectious or whether it might complicate matters with vaccines and COVID-19 immunity. Scientists have said the new strain actually carries 17 distinct genetic changes, most of them impacting the spike protein that the virus uses to infect cells. Antibodies created after infection or vaccination target the spike protein, so any major changes to that protein might impact COVID-19 immunity. Oh, how convenient (laughs) that they release a vax to everybody and then right away we have a mutation that may even threaten the the, the vaccine efficacy there. So, oh man. Yeah, the timing is perfect. Oh my gosh. Here's the vaccine. Uh Uh-oh, it doesn't do anything. But not because it's a bad one, just because the disease is so devious. And I also think it's interesting how with the the vaccine, especially in the UK rolling out, all these people that are probably going to have some pretty crazy side effects, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and even maybe get infected anyway. Right. Uh, to mitigate that whole crisis, you know, why don't we just tell everybody that there's a mutation out there too, just to scare people. So yeah, the timing of it all just seems very suspicious. You know, I get a lot of, uh, Instagram ads for masks, different masks, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of companies coming out with more permanent type masks made of plastic and different respirators and, you know, full helmets. We've had some of them on the show. Um, I'm waiting for one that has uh, like a little microphone on the inside and a speaker or maybe like a, 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 a voice to skull 
interface where you can just oh, yeah. beam your voice right into people's uh, brains. So we can we can start talking like we can start sounding like the Mandalorians or yes. stormtroopers. Yes, exactly. We'll, we'll like all be sounding like stormtroopers. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, I got another story here from you. Speaking of Vax Week over in the UK. Um, that's right. Last week was the first week of vaccinations in the UK. Uh, we haven't started in the United States, right? Where they keep they were threatening to start this week, but I don't think it's actually started. They're still shipping them out, huh? Yeah, I guess. We'll see. We'll hear about it for sure yeah. once uh, everyone starts getting the jab. So this is coming from CNBC.com and uh, in a headline that is surprising to literally no one, Pfizer's <laughs> Pfizer's CEO hasn't gotten his COVID vaccine yet, saying he doesn't want to cut in line. Oh, oh okay. Oh, what right. a moral and ethical upstanding big pharma CEO caring <laughs> about the little guy. It's a good excuse. If I was the Pfizer CEO, that's the excuse that I would have paid my PR people to come up with, too. Uh, Pfizer CEO Albert Bourla hasn't received his company's COVID-19 vaccine shot yet, saying Monday he and other executives will not, quote, cut the line as U.S. officials kick off a massive effort to distribute the vaccines across the country. The vaccine, which Pfizer developed in partnership with Germany-based BioNTech, is the first approved for emergency use in the U.S. to prevent COVID-19. The Food and Drug Administration on Friday authorized the vaccine for use in people 16 and older. And the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on Sunday officially recommended its use. However, there are limited doses available, and as such, the CDC has recommended states prioritize healthcare workers and long-term care residents for initial distribution, with the exception of Pennsylvania's uh, biggest healthcare system, who will not be taking the vaccine. While Bourla's company developed the vaccine, he is not a frontline health worker himself. He said he's also 59 and in relatively good health. So it's not entirely appropriate for him to receive the vaccine before other people who need it more. If he has was vaccinated and on camera, he said it might help increase the public's willingness to receive it. No. Citing Pfizer's internal research. But he emphasized that, quote, none of the executives and board members will cut the line. Bourla also urged Americans to <laughs> basically what he's saying there is Oh, it would really help out the public, uh, you know, optics on the vaccine. If me and my other executives got it, you know, we could get other people to take it and save more lives. But, oh, man, we're not going to do that because we don't want to. Bourla also urged Americans to trust science and encourage people to get vaccinated when appropriate based on their age and occupation. Quote, this is a vaccine that will uh, that was developed without cutting corners from a company with 171 years of credentials, Bourla said Monday on Squawk Box. This is a vaccine that was developed in the spotlight, in the daylight, with all the data being put in a server. What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> doesn't make it all the data was put in a server so you know <laughs> it's fine these people think either they are 
unintelligent or they think the rest of us are really unintelligent or yeah. something. I mean, that, yeah, it, I think it, maybe he doesn't Pfizer, know what a server is. Probably not. But wasn't Pfizer the one that didn't publish any of their data until mm-hmm. they started rolling out the, the vaccines in the UK and everything? Yeah, they still haven't released all the data. And they're the ones who keep they're not the ones saying it but people keep saying that there was no adverse events during their trials and there was a bunch of adverse events including people that died yes two specifically that died and then four more that died but they died from they didn't die from the vaccine they died science guns trust they got the placebo so yeah anyway go on burla's comments come as the first deliveries of doses are set to arrive at more than 100 of the companies sorry countries i did it again i can't uh i'm telling you merging into one thing it's true they're all the same to me uh 100 of the countries 636 predetermined dang so close on that one I know 636. No, 33 more. No, I'm sorry, 30 more. (laughs) Yeah, 30 more. (laughs) Bad math. Predetermined distribution sites. Some frontline healthcare workers are due to be vaccinated as soon as Monday morning. And vaccination is set to begin among long-term care residents next week, according to Operation Warp Speed officials. So allegedly, some people were supposed to get vaccinated two days ago. Have you heard anything about this? A little bit. I mean, I just heard the the FDA approval, and remember right, we talked. But there's about no the, there's no televised vaccination of healthcare workers, is there? Not yet. Not yet. I don't know. Maybe there was. Maybe the chat can secret? tell us. Is there <laughs> secret vaccinations that they're not telling us about? Maybe I don't know. But mm. uh, I'm still waiting for uh, Bush Jr., Obama, and Clinton coming out. Hey. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Um, hold on here. Epony Blaze, that's producer Charlie. I just emailed you an article about the first vax. Okay, pulling it up now. Thank you, producer Charlie. Um, marketwatch.com. Watch. Relieved Americans applaud as Pfizer BioNTech COVID 19 vaccine rolls out across the country. You want to uh, jump on that link and put it on the stream real Sorry. quick? It's already up. Oh, you're so fast. Well, the problem is I don't have a live stream. Oh, I could, though, if I paid attention. Um, Okay, here we go. As the U.S. death toll from the coronavirus pandemic neared 300,000 on Monday, video and images of the first doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine being delivered and administered gave people a shot of hope. In Queens, New York, Northwell health nurse Sandra Lindsay became the first person in the U.S. to receive the coronavirus vaccine. What is the date on this? This was two days ago. This was Monday, uh, which was received, uh, which just received emergency use authorization from the Food and Drug Administration on Friday. Video footage of the critical care nurse getting the long awaited inoculation went viral on Twitter on Monday morning. Not that viral. I didn't get it. Quote, it didn't feel any different from taking any other vaccine, said Lindsay, who received the shot to a round of applause. Oh, clap. Please clap. 
Quote, I feel hopeful today, relieved, she added while speaking to journalists at Long Island Jewish Medical Center in New York. And her fellow Americans have been sharing those feelings on social media since the first of nearly three million doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine started shipping out on Sunday. Onlookers also cheered as FedEx and UPS delivery trucks left the Pfizer facility in Portage, Michigan, near Kalamazoo at around. 8:25 a.m. local time on Sunday. Can you say manufactured news story? Yeah. How know, would these um, regular people know exactly when the UPS and FedEx trucks carrying the vaccines would be rolling out of the distribution facility? This whole thing and the, the video that they have here, it's got like Cuomo on a live stream and Oh, you got to have Cuomo. Yeah, the shots going in and stuff. This is like scientific virtue signaling mm -hmm. because nobody in the public knows what's actually in the, the syringe there. There's no way to verify as a public, much less the FedEx truck pulling out the FedEx <laughs> truck. But yeah, I just, it, this is a lot of uh, signaling going on and it's just a big show. I, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. Of course here. it is. Well, and they're saying it right here, talking over and over about how this gave hope to the American people. Well, I mean, you can say that. I'm not exactly, I don't know anybody who got hope from this after all the negative uh, feedback about it in the UK. Oh. If you have any allergies, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know what? Now that I think about it, um, uh, let's see. I think there was a story, a headline that talked about uh, no side effects from vaccine like a day after mm. and it was like it's been one day <laughs> right like we're, <laughs> the, the concerns aren't like oh people are just going to keel over and die the no. next day from a vaccine it's no like side effects except for the anaphylactic shock right, <laughs> right. and perhaps the, the palsy that we'll get to in a moment yeah well, but, there you go it's just ah man this is really bothersome the the amount of propaganda yeah. That is surrounding and, this whole thing. And it, the biggest thing is just the lying. Like, you know, yeah. whatever. Whatever you feel about vaccines, that's how you feel. That's okay. It doesn't affect me very much. But just the blatant disregard for the scientific information. They just ignore yesterday's news and make up the new news for the day. And with that said, we should go on to the next story here. It's not different. It's not science. Okay, this is USA Today. Uh, COVID-19 vaccine trials report cases of brief facial paralysis. That's no. not as scary as it sounds. There's no side effects, Gons. Haven't you heard? It's not as scary as it sounds, though, Basil. I know it sounds scary <laughs> having your face paralyzed by a vaccine, but... Uh -huh. Just rest assured, science is truth. Science is truth. Don't listen to the naysayers and the crazy conspiracy theorists okay. because it's safe. Americans are increasingly concerned about vaccine safety after four people in Pfizer-BioNTech trials and three people in the Moderna trials developed Bell's palsy, a condition that causes temporary, temporary no side effects. Weakness, no side effects. Temporary weakness or paralysis of the facial muscles. Uh, while it may sound scary, experts say Bell's palsy is more common and less severe than people think. Bell's palsy, also known as peripheral facial nerve palsy, can occur at any age, according to the Mayo Clinic. The exact causes so are unknown. So it's totally fine. It totally can occur at any time. 
The exact causes are unknown, but it's believed to be the result of swelling and inflammation of the nerve that controls the muscles on one side of the face or a reaction after a viral infection. Uh, yeah. <laughs> on here. Uh, Dr. Anthony Geracci, Northwell Health, uh, Health's Director of Neuromuscular Medicine in Great Neck, New York, says at least two Bell's palsy patients visit his office a month and they always recover within several weeks. Quote, 90%, if not more, of patients who have Bell's palsy experience a mild, transient weakness of the side of the face, which is completely resolved within three months, a majority within a month and a half, he said. Uh, it's relatively, uh, it's a relatively benign condition. Uh, hmm. Let me stop for a moment there. Yes, you, yes I shared with this, something. shared this with you before the show. They are making a big point about making Bell's palsy sound uh, basically harmless. But my grandmother actually died of Bell's palsy, and it was far from uh, the relaxed, benign. Uh, thing that they're making it sound like here. I think this is this was pretty insulting to to hear. Yeah, so I I mean I'm just doing some quick searches here to see what the the you know the death rate is from Bell's palsy and well, I'm not You know it. and it's interesting yeah. too because when my grandmother got Bell's palsy, all of us in the family were doing a bunch of research about Bell's palsy and you know what? I don't know what uh, Google algorithm I was on, but I did not find uh, anything about it being so harmless. And don't worry, it'll just go away. So this this you know I don't know I don't have the uh, the wayback machine information and maybe for some reason Google didn't want me to get my hopes up about my grandmother not dying of this, uh, but uh, yeah this this uh, info about Bell's palsy being a two week condition is news <laughs> to me. Mm, interesting. Well, well, that's what they're making it sound like. It's no big deal. According to the Mayo Clinic, <laughs> symptoms of Bell's palsy may include rapid onset of mild weakness to total paralysis on one side of the face, uh -huh. facial droop, pain around the jaw or behind the ears, increased sensitivity to sound, headache, a loss of taste and changes. A loss of taste. Interesting. That's a classic COVID there. symptom. Yeah. yeah. And changes in the amount of tears and saliva produced. Uh, so you can cry, but nobody will know you're crying oh, or you're crying about everything. I don't know if it dries you out or makes you cry more, but uh, Garassi says most of his patients experience mild to moderate symptoms that could include numbness or tingling to the tongue or maybe an off kilter smile or less blinking in one eye than the other. Um, anyway, the, <laughs> no big deal, guys. Don't worry about it. And you know, one of the things to keep in mind too According to publicly available information, this Pfizer trial, I think it was like 30 to 40,000 people that were tested or whatever, they did not test it on people that had uh, other, uh, you know, highly uh, susceptible to, you know, uh, being allergic to things and stuff like that. They didn't test it on uh, people that have other issues. Mm -hmm. And and, and remember early on in the UK, they said, hey, you know, if you have a severe allergic reaction to things, don't take it. And it's just one of those things. It's like, don't, don't you want to know how it affects people that might have other problems before you start rolling it out there and then only tell the That's people. That's what they're after. doing now. 
That's what I'm saying. That's what the mass rollout is, is really just a big beta test. Yeah, it's just, oh man, it's, it's troubling. This is very troubling. Um, But but don't worry, there's no adverse effects. Yeah, it's not as scary as it sounds, guys. Your face is just going to be numb for like three months. But (laughs) other than that, other than that, hey, down with the Ronas, am I right? (laughs) So crazy. It's just craziness. This isn't even conspiracy theory. We're just reading the news. Yeah, and uh, just just so people uh, watching or viewing or listening uh, don't have any doubts about this. I have the actual document screenshotted here from the FDA. Uh, the link is available. I'll throw it in the chat real quick. Um, but yeah, this paper does actually say uh, uh, the reports. Well, I'm not going to read the whole thing here. Bell's palsy was reported by four vaccine participants and none in the placebo group which would make sense. Okay. That means that the, the, the vaccine did yeah. cause this. Uh, these cases occurred at three, nine, 37 and 48 days after the vaccination. Oh, wow. One that's a case. long time. So that, that, is, that could occur at any, like, you know, that's not just something like they said, uh, Oh, took the vaccine yesterday. Feeling fine. Go that's, get that's it. Everybody. That's what I'm saying. It's like up to a month <laughs> later, you could develop Bell's palsy. One case onset at three days post-vaccination was reported as resolved with uh, sequelae within three days after onset, and the other three were reported as continuing or resolving as of the November 14th, 2020 data cutoff with ongoing durations of 10, 15, and 21 days respectively. So if I'm reading that correctly, it was resolved as of the day they cut off the data? Oh, interesting. Meaning, meaning like, oh, we're, we're just going to say it resolved because, hey, we're not collecting oh, data. Oh, that's very interesting. I don't know. Wow. But it does say 10, 15, 21 days respectively. Yeah. The observed frequency of reported Bell's palsy in the vaccine group is consistent with the expected background rate in the general population. So eh, don't worry about it. It's the expected rate of the, with the population. Yeah. And there is no clear basis upon which to conclude a casual, a causal relationship at this time. <laughs> Didn't they say they don't know what causes Bell's palsy to begin with? Yeah. Well, we know know what causes it. We know one thing that causes it. Oh my gosh. But FDA will recommend surveillance for cases with Bell's palsy with deployment of the vaccine into larger populations. Wow. So that's directly from the FDA there. Okay. Thanks FDA. Yeah. Anyway, don't worry guys. No adverse side effects. No adverse side effects. It's not a big deal. It's not as scary as it sounds. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, uh, I'm gonna got another article here for you. Okay. There you go. Thanks. Go for it. Doing it. This is also from the New York Post. A lot of New York Post today. Uh, America's oldest newspaper. Most Americans will likely get a COVID-19 vaccine survey says. Let's just check in with the surveys here. Seven out of 10 Americans say they will, quote, definitely or probably get a COVID-19 vaccine. A new survey is found. The new statistic, 71%, is a considerable jump from September when 63% said they get the jab. Now American outlets are calling it the jab. This is crazy. No, I noticed that. And I think there was an article that mentioned that as well, that America was mentioning it as the jab. Weird. Yeah. 
I wonder if it's because they started with it in the UK. So the UK kind of, uh, you know, got to take control of the language. And now suddenly the jab is, an, um, is being used in America. That's, yeah. the, I know that's, um, you know, I know that's a normal thing in the UK to call getting a shot. But calling it the jab in America has some pretty negative uh, uh, rhetorical connotations. Like that is inherently a negative term. So it's very strange that they're trying to flip flop that on us as a good thing. Yeah. Co-op the language. Well, it's the same thing. You know, language has done more evolving in 2020 than it has in the past 10 years. I think anyways, continuing the new statistic, 71% is a considerable jump from September when 63% said they'd get the jab. I don't like that. According to the poll Tuesday from the Kaiser family, Foundation. The nonprofit health research organization surveyed 1,676 adults. That doesn't seem like enough to me, but amid fears from the experts that not enough Americans trust the coronavirus vaccine, Dr. Anthony Fauci, they always have to say, (laughs) Dr. Daddy Fauci, the the nation's top infectious disease expert, has said around 75 to 80 percent of the population would need to be vaccinated to achieve herd immunity. That's actually uh, not quite true. Um, Because you need you need about 80 percent of the population to create herd immunity. Um, So but that's not counting the people who have already had the disease and built up their own immunity to it. Uh, You can get it twice, Basil. Didn't you know this? It mutates. You know, I know I keep saying I say that, too. I've and we've reported on that. But I was recently told. Told, so I guess I'd have to fact check this that it was only like 10 people or something that have got it twice some minuscule number right I've heard that too yeah so anyways I mean you should be able to take the amount if it's 70% that get uh, vaccinated and then add the people who already have built an immunity that should reach about 80% maybe I don't know by the way the uh 1,676 adults that were surveyed for this to get mm-hmm. the seven out of 10 Americans. Yeah. Uh, I, I know it's not all adults, but just comparing it to the American population, mm-hmm. that is 0.0005% of the United States population. No, so, that's you know. one. That's like a neighborhood. <laughs> that's not even, there's nothing. It's such yeah. a small amount of people. 27% of those recently surveyed said they would definitely or probably not get vaccinated quote this group is disproportionately made up of republicans of course we gotta point this out this group is disproportionately made up of republicans and of people with no more than a high school level education Uh. kaiser said in a statement Uh, black Americans, people living in rural areas and Republicans were among the most hesitant about getting the shot. That's racist. They just said anyways, uh, but their reasons varied according to the report quote. Some black adults are hesitant for reasons that could change with more information. The report said, 
Around 71% of those who say they won't get the vaccine said they're concerned about possible side effects, while about 50% of the group fear they could get the virus. For Republicans, 57% of those surveyed cited, quote, the risks of COVID-19 are being exaggerated as a major reason. They definitely or probably would not get the vaccine. Quote, many Americans who are hesitant are simply reserving judgment before they are ready to get vaccinated. However, nearly one in four Republicans don't want to get vaccinated because they don't believe COVID poses a serious threat, said Molly Ann Brody, executive vice president of the Kaiser Family Foundation, according to CNN. I wonder if we should do a quick rundown of the Kaiser Family Foundation. Liz, Liz Harnell or Hamill, director of Kaiser's public opinion survey research program, said messaging will be critical to instill confidence in the vaccine. Quote, based on our data, what happens? Notice. Okay. Uh, So Liz Hamill said messaging will be critical to instill confidence in the vaccine. I don't know if that's quite true, Liz. I don't think it's all about brainwashing and messaging to people because so far the messaging is no adverse side effects. Don't worry. Perfectly safe. Nothing to see here, folks. That's the messaging when, in fact, the data shows that your face can go paralyzed (laughs) and you can die of anaphylaxis and 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 so. Uh, your messaging, I don't give a nothing. I don't give nothing, (laughs) Liz, about your messaging. And this is, uh, there's one hidden sort of, um, there's one hidden, uh, uh, what is the word? I don't know. So it's, it's insulting. There's an hidden insult in this, which is it's the messaging that's critical to instill confidence and not the science the and actual, the data that is yeah. critical to instill confidence. And that's where a lot of this quote unquote messaging is getting wrong because they think they can just message people into confidence when the people who don't have confidence, it's based on the data, the science of the vaccine and the results of the trials. That's what <laughs> takes away confidence in the vaccine. The thought that you Kaiser, uh, what is it? called uh, kaiser medical something or other uh where is it where is it where is it kaiser family kaiser family foundation the idea that you can just message quote quote unquote brainwash people into having confidence in the vaccine is insulting to those who actually pay attention to the science and the data and decide for themselves it's not a risk they want to take so That's all I have to say about that. Quote, based on our data, what happens in this initial rollout is going to be critically important in both how smoothly it rolls out, but also how those reports get filtered out to the media and what people's different media sources are telling them about how that initial rollout goes. Well, what what was the media outlet that told us about the face paralysis? Oh, that was MSN. Okay, what's the, uh, I can scroll down in our thing and find the outlet that told us about the anaphylaxis. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was a mainstream source as well. So this is just a highly insulting, and you don't, it's not insulting if you don't think about it. 
But if you're the type of person who pays attention, uh, not just to the data and the science of the vaccine, but also if you are, uh, you know, if you know the tricks to look at the uh, media analysis and see when they're lying to you, sometimes lying without lying, sometimes lying uh by omission and sometimes just straight up putting insults in friendly language. So there you go. Anyways, uh, <sighs> what were we talking about? Oh yeah. Most Americans will likely get a COVID-19 vaccine. That's yeah. Fine. Yeah. You can go get it. The name Kaiser in German is the word for emperor. Oh, good. So good. Kaiser the family. Kaiser family. The, family. <laughs> the emperor's family. <laughs> German Good. King, Trust German them. Kings, the the Nazi 2.0. Yeah, of course, of course. Now I know that. Um, who is the Kaiser family? Is that a family or like yeah, is that somebody's last family. name? Yeah, yeah. There's a Kaiser family. I'm trying to. I remember them as part of the. Uh, you know, they're part of the big. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know that they're part of the bloodlines, but they're definitely. Um, they're definitely involved in some history here in the, yeah. in the u.s and the world when it comes to uh control and i'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm the seeing kaiser's family so i'm, I'm seeing this foreignpolicy.com article mm -hmm. the kaiser's family wants its stuff back germany isn't sure they deserve it uh former <laughs> royal family lost countless artworks i don't know if this is the same it, it's got to be the same uh kaiser. no kaiser's family they're probably talking about the former uh uh, emperor or oh, king emperor. or kaiser of germany because interesting uh i don't have the exact dates i can pull it up though um yeah, germany in its current state in its current sort of democratic state is very young they've had like kaisers up until fairly recently i think well, I don't want to speak out of turn here, so I might look it up. But I spent some time looking at the political history of Germany, and it's it, in its current form. I believe it might be one of the youngest countries in the world. Um, yeah, I might look that up while, while we do something else. But um, highlighting the stuff. Also, uh, also got Kaiser Soze from The Usual Suspects. Oh, classic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyways, yeah. uh, the Kaiser Family Foundation, they don't just have like a website we can read from. Uh, we can. We'll, we'll get to it. Yeah. Kaiser Wilhelm? Is it the Kaiser Wilhelm? <laughs> I don't the think guy? so. It's okay. We'll, we'll look into them later if it even matters. Um, one quick thing before we take a break here. Uh, one more quick story. If it's not uh, the vaccine and different ways to trace it, this medgadget.com. Uh, saliva COVID test uses smartphone for results in 15 minutes. Mm, great. The big thing about this is, uh, and this will go into our break and then out of the break too. Scientists at Tulane university have reported a new COVID-19 saliva test that uses a smartphone to provide results in as little as 15 minutes, similar to technology from UC Berkeley. Uh, the new test uses CRISPR technology and does not involve polymerase chain reaction PCR oh, good. that though accurate is slow to deliver results. It is perp uh, purportedly faster, more accurate and easier to perform than existing gold standard PCR tests while requiring less equipment and achieving results in minutes rather than days. The new test detects RNA from the SARS-CoV-2 virus by, by relying on CRISPR to amplify the signal. Mm. This is 
interesting because uh, isn't that what PCR does? It amplifies yeah. the signal. Yeah, it is. Uh, the test involves mixing an assay solution with a sample of patient saliva on a special chip, which then heats and amplifies a specific region of the virus's RNA. According to a Tulane announcement, quote, a modified CRISPR complex that contains a guide RNA specific for the virus RNA region rapidly binds and cuts both this amplified RNA region and a tagged DNA probe to produce a fluorescent signal that is read by the smartphone device. Uh, this test addresses the critical need for a rapid, ultra-sensitive COVID-19 diagnosis along with effective large-scale screening efforts uh, blah, blah, blah. So there you go. Now you got to just spit onto a thing and then your phone will tell you if you have the Ronas. Oh, good. Got to get the phones involved. Uh, yeah. This is from KFF.org. The Henry J. Kaiser Family Foundation was established in 1948. Hmm. Interesting oh. timing. Timing. <laughs> but it was completely remade in 1991. I wonder what the problem was. Under the leadership of CEO Drew Altman, we have not changed our name, but nowadays refer to ourselves simply as KFF. Our legal name can cause occasional confusion because we are neither a foundation, a family foundation, nor are we associated with Kaiser Permanente. We keep the name to honor the legacy of our original benefactor or to lie to anybody who does not take the time to dig deep into your website the great industrialist henry j kaiser that's the new research project who and what is henry j kaiser whose motto uh find a need and fill it we have adapted into our motto filling the need for trusted information on national health issues you know what this is this is so funny we have not changed our name but nowadays refer to ourselves simply as kff our legal name can cause occasional confusion because we are neither a foundation a family foundation nor are we associated with kaiser permanente this is reminiscent of the federal reserve that's what i was gonna say yeah, yeah. They're, they're yeah we can just name ourselves reserve. whatever we want it doesn't have to reflect anything about us and nobody you know it's here on our website so legally we're protected but who's really gonna dig that deep yeah, that's ridiculous. So interesting. Gonna look up Mr. Henry J. Kaiser. What did you do to have an American industrialist who became known as the father of modern American shipbuilding mm-hmm. uh, prior, to, prior to World War II? He was involved in the construction industry. I want to know uh, the scandals. There's He was one of the, the companies that built the Hoover Dam. Uh, you can, there's some conspiracy stuff surrounding that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kaiser Shipyards, which built Liberty ships during World War II. Uh, then he formed Kaiser Aluminum and Kaiser Steel. Uh, Kaiser organized Kaiser Permanente Healthcare for his workers and his families. Mm-hmm. Uh, led Kaiser Fraser, followed by Kaiser Motors. Man, this guy's yeah, okay. he's, he's an industrialist. He's got something yeah. funky. You don't do that much. You don't build the Hoover Dam without being involved in something that uh, oh, yeah. would cause your nonprofit to have to completely remake itself in 1991. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, should we take a little break? Yeah, we should make it quick. We got a lot to cover. We're going to make it oh, real quick. Break time. 
Okay, folks, we're going to take a really quick break. And lucky for uh, the impatient live listeners, it's going to be very quick for reasons that will become uh, clear soon. But after the break, we're going to be... Um, we're going to be visiting a quick segment on the PCR test, uh, which is going to be important. And we've got uh, a message from um, one of our producers who is uh, has 25 plus years of experience in the microbiology uh, uh industry um, but then we've got uh, another pandemic special digging into the uh, death toll perhaps a deleted death toll who knows and then of course everybody's favorite nephilim update but before that we want to thank some of our producers because we could not continue to do the show as often or as well as we do if it were not for the support of our producers now if you're new you might notice that we don't uh we don't play any advertisements not in the beginning not in the end and not in the middle guns you you know i listen to podcasts and i don't listen to joe rogan very often but when he made the switch over to uh you made the switch over to Spotify. Spot. Yeah, there was an yeah. episode somebody told me to catch, so I went over there. And his Spotify, they're very crafty. First of all, they've got like, I mean, not a joke, like literally eight different advertisements in the beginning. And then on the episode I was on, it comes in eight advertisements. Okay, skip, 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 skip. And then it starts the thing. It's like, hi, this is Joe Rogan. Here's what we're going to talk about. It's great. I, I love aliens and uh, just, you know, whatever. And then it goes into another advertisement segment. They trick Ooh. you. Yeah, you can skip like eight ads and then you think you're listening to the podcast and then it goes into more ads. It's crazy. So anyways, um, I'm going to try to put this a little bit more succinctly and and try to explain it a little bit better because I recently, uh, well, we, I don't know if you saw it, Gons, but we recently got a message um, from someone who does what we do and they are kind of being a little bit belittling about the fact that we are so strong uh against advertisements and i don't know i, I didn't see it uh, yeah it's okay it doesn't matter that it, and you know there's kind of somewhere somebody we're friends with it's cool but they were uh they were really giving us a hard time about not doing advertisements and here's the thing uh I've worked in advertising before, not in any serious sense, but when I was younger, you know, I was trying to get into graphic design and stuff and worked for some advertising um, companies. And they literally think of advertising as brainwashing. I mean, that is in yeah. sometimes they will even say it. Some big advertising executives have famously have quotes about talking about how advertising is brainwashing and, uh, you know, advertising. Also, if you watch the social dilemma, which puts it very succinctly, um, advertising is the reason for all the awful things about Facebook, all of the echo chambers, all of the, you know, uh, uh, censoring, all of the uh, shadow banning, all of the this, all of the that, even the existence of influencers is all predicated on the uh, propagation 
of advertising. If it weren't for advertising, you can literally break it down. If it weren't for advertising, like of 50% of the things that are awful about the internet would just be gone. And uh, when I say internet, I you can extend that out to society because that's where society lives nowadays. So, you know, when we talk about not doing ads, um, which we've said before and we'll say it again, we've gotten some pretty big offers to do ads on the show. Um, it, it's, it's literally because advertising is ruining the world. <laughs> like it is, a, and I consider it a spiritual issue. You know, it's a spiritual principality and power that controls so much in this world and if Gons and I are going to be serious about the things that we talk about on this show and have to stand before God someday and <laughs> answer why we did so much work that we did, but still participated in advertising, that's just not an explanation. I want to try to think of a good excuse uh, to tell God at the end of my life. So that is why we do not play advertising and incentivize guys like Gons and I to consider you, dear listener, as a commodity to be traded and sold to advertising companies for our own personal gain and uh, would change the things we could and couldn't talk about, what we would feel comfortable talking about without uh, the threat of losing uh, advertising dollars. So that's why we don't even play with it. We don't even touch the stove. Um, You know, what's funny, I was listening to... uh uh, and, and I do this because it's just in my feed every once in a while, but I'm not even subscribed to this guy's channel, but Ben Shapiro just keeps popping up on my feed <laughs> on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I was watching one of his things and he starts off with, a, you know, they're talking ads, you know, he's promoting stuff, but I wanted to clip it. I didn't have time, but I literally wanted to clip it and play it during our, our segment here because he does this thing where he gets into this really intense thing about Biden and, and upholding the constitution and, you know, causing issues with the democracy and just the lies and the, but also, and then he just goes right into it. No break, nothing. He's, you know, Joe Biden, democracy, constitution. But first, everybody loves waffles. (laughs) (laughs) It's like waffles. waffles. (laughs) He goes from this really intense monologue about the constitution and threat. And then he goes and talks about waffles (laughs) for like two minutes. And I'm like, man, this is really this is what we're talking about. Like yeah. I, I, I kind of started getting into what he was saying a little. I'm like, Oh, is he talking? Oh, it's kind of crazy. But then the waffle thing just killed it. I'm like, Oh, I want to hear him talk about waffles for two minutes. But uh, <laughs> yeah. that's oh, kind of what we're geez. talking about. It's, the- <laughs> it just makes me cringe so much. You know, Runk know. Smash in the Twitch chat says, can we get a CCR episode about the evils of advertising? We literally could make a really good a CCR episode oh, about so. advertising. I mean, it is as diabolical as a, you know, a lot of the other crazy stuff we talk about. So maybe we will, maybe that's what we need to do. But anyways, that's why we are on the value for value model. That's right. No advertising here. Instead, uh, we let you dear listener decide the value of the 
pieces of media that you enjoy. You don't want no advertising company to decide the value of Canary Cry News Talk. You uh, are not just a listener. You can be a producer and decide what the monetary value of this show is. And you can do that, first of all, by heading over to patreon.com slash ccnt for Canary Cry News Talk. Um, And let's see... Let's see who did that this week. Since Monday, we have one new producer, and everybody needs to give a round of applause to our new producer, Melissa A. Woo! Thank you, Melissa. See, we we applaud our producers while the mainstream media applauds the jab. The chat, jeez. Okay, thank you very much, Melissa A. And yes, don't worry, everybody. This section will be short, but uh, all the more reason to thank you, producer Melissa A. Next, we have patreon.com slash canarycryradio. That's patreon.com slash canarycryradio. And we have a new, uh, no, we have an upgrading producer, and that is producer Martin B., Thank you, producer Martin B. Thank you very much, producer Martin B. Um, So that's all for the Patreon producers. Thank you so much uh, for... Uh, to producer Melissa A and upgraded producer Martin B. Thank you for producing the show. It is the only way that we can continue doing the show uh, with a clean conscience. We appreciate you. Now, if uh, you're out there and you want to become a producer, Patreon is not the only way. Some people don't like Patreon and that's okay. You can head over to canarycryradio.com slash support. Canarycryradio. Dot com slash That's right. CanaryCryRadio.com slash support. Uh, there's a lot of literature on that page that you can hear more about the value for value model. Um, but there's PayPal options. You can become a monthly producer, which uh, we appreciate all of our monthly producers. That goes a long way towards uh, laying down a, a firm foundation uh, to keep the show going. And and, uh, but there's also, you know, if commitment is not your thing, there's also one-time producerships in any amount you like through PayPal. There's also cryptocurrency options, et cetera, et cetera. Gons, who is coming in on the PayPal? PayPal, we had one new, uh, or at least a one-time give uh, support person here, mm-hmm. Ciara coming in. Thank you, producer Woo! Ciara. Thank you very much, and, producer uh, Ciara. She said, happy holidays. So thank you, producer Ciara and all the uh, recurring people there. Um, And that's it for PayPal. So, okay, there we go. Short, short time. Are we going to do the nighting on Friday? I was, I was hoping so because let's do uh, it. We we need a couple more pieces of information. Um, It's producer Aaron out there. If you're listening, uh, we need try harder. Try harder (laughs) with name and everything. No, the name (laughs) is fine, but we need his protectorate. Yeah, I know, but he. I asked him for a knighthood name, and he he, he just said well, Aaron. I think the name is fine, but he needs it's a protectorate. So, 
Yeah, he okay. needs to choose his protectorate. So right, thank you. Uh, for those who don't know, we have the Canary Cry Roundtable of Knights and Dames, and those are uh, special producers that we like to honor because over the years, um, they have supported the show with, in the amount of $1,000 or more, and they are uh, just wonderful people. Now, there's other ways to produce the show if uh, financially is not in the cards for you. That's okay. Here on the value with the value for value model, we we have many options to produce the show. It's not just all about your money. Gans, you want to tell us about it? Yes. So you can send us jingles and songs that are show oriented and we'll play it on the playlist. Uh, today, we're going to actually have a new song at the end of the, the show mix. And it is from producer Arnie, I believe. Producer Arnie, he wrote cool. a song called Yoked to You. Oh, yeah. And uh, the lyrics are a little hard to understand in the mixed uh, in in the mix there, but I'll play a few seconds of it so you guys can take a listen here. Uh, don't there it is. Oh, pop punk. Get my drums out. Fun. Good stuff. Very good. Thank you, producer Arnie. Uh, we'll be playing that at the end of the show and during the Canary Cry mixtape. We might need to uh, boost the vocals on that a little bit. We'll have I to know. Talk I was going to gonna Arnie. say, yeah, bring, boost the vocals. The lyrics you just heard there make way for Basil and Gons as they expose Babylon. Woo. There's a line drawn in the sand. We won't be pulled from his hand to the Father. You lift us up, Jesus. So good lyrics. Yeah, that's put, great. Put it, put it up more front and center. Yeah, I get it. I understand. I understand the you know. That's always the thing. If you mix your own stuff, you always put the vocals lower. I know, so, but that's good. Yeah. Very good, Arnie. We'll play it at the end of the show, and uh, yeah, maybe we'll we'll try to boost those uh, boost the mix there a little bit. And the other way you can support the show with your time and talent is with artwork. Woo! Oh, what happened? What happened to my art jingle? Here it is. One art, please. <laughs> I'm having issues with uh, the computer. It's doing yeah, interesting. It's the first lying. one. Yeah, the first one here is from producer Ali. And producer Ali drew a picture of me playing the drums. <laughs> That's right. You've got your. Oh, oh she even did uh, a great job of depicting your green screen drumsticks. You'll notice if you get in there close that the drumsticks are invisible up until about yeah. the top third. She pays attention to the details. So great job. And uh, I'm on a five piece drum set uh, and um, uh, the kick drum name there, Canary Criers, mm-hmm. kind of like a. Uh, like an old band yeah. from the 60s or whatever. And then um, over to my left, not my left, no, over to my right is uh, Z, Z from China. Xi Jinping. And he's clapping because we yes. are entertaining. <laughs> he loves your drumming. <laughs> he loves my drumming. That- uh, I don't know why, but yeah. I, I was, it, we must have said something. It's like uh, Xi Jinping spying on your uh, your drumming, Gans. 
He's, yeah, the, the piece he, is called. He looks like he's enjoying it. He's got his oh, uh, Winnie the Pooh bear face there. I thought it was a panda, but either way, yeah, it's the same. Uh, the piece is called Big Brother is Watching. That's racist. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you're it's not racist. a panda. It's Winnie the Pooh. That's the whole thing. Oh, that's right. Right, yeah. right. You're right. Okay. So thank you, Producer Allie. Keep it up. Fantastic job there, as usual. And then we have uh, art from uh Barz- barzillai yeah barzillai yeah. coming in with another canary cry i spy yes that's so funny you, go, you know i posted that on facebook uh unfortunately we're like <laughs> i have uh, anyways nothing i ever post on facebook makes it anywhere anymore they don't want me spreading the good news, but I did post it on the Facebook because it's a, it's a fun game. It's the Canary Cry I Spy, and in this one, it's we have uh, a second edition, and on the Canary Cry I Spy list, you've got things like Samurai Gons, Basil Podcasterson is in there. Um, you've got BD Beast Police Force, Interdimensional Invaders. Oh, good, we always got to have those. Drone Strike Save Lives. Let's see. Ooh, Canary cry album art is in there somewhere mutant spider cat uh, pizza illuminati masonic gestapo all sorts of good stuff um, a fun canary cry i spy game for those who have an eye to detect the uh the deception yep there you go so thank you so much producer barzillai uh also wanted to thank uh, Jade Bouncerson, mm-hmm. who is Epony Blaze, which is producer Charlie. There's multiple names there. But uh, for the timestamps, appreciate yes. that. Continue to do that. We, we really uh, thank you for that. Thank you very much. And uh, just a mention of the Canary Cry merch perch. And that's about it. We should probably get back. I'm, I'm running low on time. Okay, here. we'll jump right into it. But just to, uh, just to give it its full due, Canary Cry Merch Perch is run by Producer Dust, a Canary Cry producer. Gons and I have nothing to do with it uh, except for our emotional support. It's got all sorts of great merch uh, from logo merch all the way to merch created from Canary Cry art created by producers. It's awesome. Go check it out. Canary Cry merchperch.com everything is sold at cost to keep the cost low for canarians but you do have the opportunity to tip the webmaster the artist or gons and i so go check that out canarycrymerchperch.com all right let's get back to it and actually it's kind of a uh like a hybrid moment here mm-hmm. hey y'all wake up because uh, we wanted How to address they, an email um, that came in from producer Mark. That's Enumati. Yes. Um, do you yeah. have it pulled up? I'm I don't. Okay. Let me pull it up real quick. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But yes. Yeah, so producer Mark is uh, a long time uh by, uh, I always forget exactly what it is, um, but he's a long time professional in the world of uh biomolecular stuff hold on here i'm sorry i'm trying to talk and pull up an email at the same time now yeah, i got it here. you want me to i got it here too so basil and gaunt and here's the thing we love uh getting 
learned something by professionals, um, but we do have a little bit of a conversation to have with this. Let's see. Basil and Gond, I'm writing to comment on your repeated statement that, uh, to paraphrase, the PCR test is not a test. I have to disagree or rather suggest a correction to your thinking about the C-19 PCR testing. Let me try to simplify this if I can. Please try to simplify this. When someone has a suspected infection, the doctor will order a test or sometimes call it an assay to try to determine what the infection agent is or to rule in or out some suspected infectious agents. Originally, this was done by getting a clinical sample from the patient, e.g. blood, urine, feces, swab, and then looking to see if the suspected organism was present. For bacterial infections, this sometimes included trying to culture the organism in growth medium and or looking at a specimen under a microscope. Some organisms have very distinct morphologies. Uh, to put that simply, just take a sample and then try to grow whatever bug is in there so you have more to look at uh, a good example would be testing for strep throat you go to the doctor's office he takes a swab from your throat and submits it to a diagnostic laboratory the swab or a solution the swab is placed in is put into a special culture medium if the organism that causes strep throat streptococcus is present it will grow on the medium as very distinct colonies which then can further be tested uh, which antibiotics may be the best uh, I don't mean to skip over it for any other reason besides time. In past decades, newer methods to detect infectious agents based on their genetic code have been developed for many diseases. This is especially true for viral agents. They are often very difficult to culture from samples, and you basically need to do electron microscopy to try to visually identify them. One of the key methods to look for a, a viral infections is polymerase chain reactions, or PCR. There are many variants of the C19 PCR test, but the main one I've seen is RTQ-PCR, which stands for Reverse Transcriptase Quantitative Polymerase Chain Reaction. I will just use PCR for the short hereafter. Thank you. The PCR test is not the rapid test. The rapid test is looking for viral proteins, not viral genetic sequences. Based on my understanding, most of the C19 PCR tests look for two or more viral genetic sequences in C19, so they can be very selective, e.g. the only C19 and not other similar viruses. Because it involves amplifying a small amount of virus in the collected sample, it can also be very sensitive. <clears throat> sensitive. You seem to have gotten caught up on the amplification issue of PCR and then gotten to the point of saying the, PCR, uh, the C19 PCR test is not a test. Uh, with the exception of a direct microscopic detection of an infectious agent in a sample, as stated above, most infection diagnostic tests involve amplification. When the throat swab sample is put onto growth medium, the streptococcus bacteria self-amplify. Each bacterial cell reproduces until colonies uh, then can be seen appear on the medium and can be further tested as needed. For C19, it is just using a chemical process PCR to amplify the C19 genetic sequences. Be uh, just because there is amplification during PCR does not mean that PCR is not a test. I will uh, push back a little bit on the rhetoric there because with a streptococcus uh, 
you call it self amplify. I mean, it just grows like a bacteria does. It uh, uh, reproduces itself, um, which is, you know, that's a bacteria reproducing itself. So you can look at it more. Uh, that's not what happens with PCR. Not to say that's what you're saying, but rhetorically, they are uh, not as similar. I, I don't think they're as similar as you explain it. But maybe that's just because I'm not a, a biomedical professional. So PCR is the method used in the C19 PCR process, just like culturing, microscopy, etc., are used as methods of those respective tests for other infectious agents. To say that PCR is not a test is misleading well misleading is a strong word all that being said the c19 pcr test does have some major issues that you've brought up on several other shows the main one is that if you run the pcr process too long too many cycles you can get false positives that is why there needs to be proper controls run with batches of tests and why some guidelines must be established so that a rational cycle limit is used based on the wide variation on cycle limits being reported proper standardization has obviously not been established and one can easily think uh, there may be ulterior motives and agenda at play the idea of infectious agent load comes into play here let's take the example of strep throat i discussed above say you go into a doctor because you have a sore leg for some reason the doctor decides to take a swab of your throat and they detect streptococcus that does not mean you have you have strep throat you do not have any symptoms of strep throat you have a sore leg we are exposed every day to many bacteria and viruses most of which are easily dealt with uh, by our amazing immune system. So just detecting an infectious agent in a, uh, in a sample does not mean you have an infection. Uh, I think we all agree with that. The same applies to C19. The highly selective and sensitive C19 PCR test may detect C19 RNA genetic sequences, but it is likely detecting C19 in people who are neither showing any sign of an infection or they're feeling sick due to something entirely different, nor are they likely to pass C19 to someone else. This latter issue definitely needs more research with a definite determination of asymptomatic people uh, can infect others. However, these issues do not mean that the C19 PCR test is not a test or assay. It most certainly is. I would highly recommend looking at, and then he gives us an official... Uh, I mean, I, I could look at all sorts of things. He says, looking at the American Society of Microbiology FAQ on C19 testing here, which also has some simple visuals. Also, a few other links. Gives us a lot of links. Thank you very much. Hope this is useful info. And if you have any questions, feel free to contact me. Always here to help. Thank you. Blessings and keep up the great work. Thank you, Producer Mark. And uh, I went ahead and read the whole thing uh, because A, he's a producer of the show and that's what producers get. But also, you know, it is important to get a full understanding of these things. Um, I feel like our, our uh, disagreements are mostly rhetorical, a, a manner, a, a, uh, a matter rather of language uh, than it is yeah. in, yeah. in practice. It's, it's, a, it's like a semantics thing. And we're, we're coming at it from, at least I am, when I say uh, it's not a test, it's, it's because even in your, in your email here, you mentioned how just because there's some 
fragments of it detected doesn't mean you're symptomatic uh, right. or that you can pass it on or anything like that. And so well, for the layman mm-hmm. to call it a test to say whether you have it or don't have it and then take actions based on that. Right. That's right. so yeah. yeah. So from a scientific sort of scholar a- academic, uh, you know, medicinally practicing uh, person calling something a test might mean many different things, a range of the definition of a test. Whereas when you use the word a test in a public, uh, you know, a a public, yeah, as a public use of the word, you know, most people are like, oh, it's a test. Do I have it? Do I not? And I liked that he mentioned the assay issue because Mm -hmm. uh, on the long list of weird things that I've done in my life, one of them is uh, tried to, I've staked claims for silver mining, Um, more of a pastime than any sort of profitable venture. (laughs) But you, when you stake a claim, you get uh, soil samples assayed and that'll tell you if it's worth digging or not. And is is actually a very similar problem because when you get soil samples assayed for a mineral, they can tell you uh, if there was if there is some there or not. But a lot of times, uh, you can get such a small sampling that you don't really know if it's if it's really there or not. You know, and. Um, it's just not very helpful as a test. You're like, well, yeah, there's silver extant in this soil sample, but there's no way to tell. There's nothing. There's no practical thing you can do with that information because it may have just as much silver as, you know, the next guy doesn't mean there's any silver on your plot. Um, right. And in the same way, it's not very helpful at all as a test in a lot of cases, um, but at least a practical test in the sort of colloquial usage of the word test. Uh, right. But you have some more. Well, I mean, I have the Kerry Mullis clip here talking about it. Um, he doesn't explicitly say that it's not a test. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure this has been played before, but this is Kerry Mullis, the inventor of the PCR, we'll call it a test. Okay. Uh, but here it is. How do they um, misuse PCR to estimate uh, all these so- supposed free viral RNAs that may or may not be there? Uh, is it some, I think misuse PCR is not quite, I don't think you can misuse PCR. No, the results, the interpretation of it. See, if you, if you, if you can say, if, if, if they wanted, if, if they could find this virus in you at all, and with PCR, if you do it well, you can find almost anything in anybody. It starts making you believe in the sort of Buddhist notion that everything is contained in everything else, right? I mean, because if you can mo- amplify one single molecule up to a, to something that you can really measure, which PCR can do, then there's just very few molecules that you don't have at least one single one of them in your body okay so that could be thought of as a misuse of it just to, to claim that it's meaningful and there it is no, they, that, they, there's very little of what they call hiv and what's been brought out here by phil pot and and, and isai already the measurement for it is not is not exact at all it's not it's not as good as our measurement for things like apples an apple is an apple 
You know, you can get something that's kind of like, if you got enough things that look kind of like an apple and you stick them all together, you might think of it as an apple. But, and, and HIV is like that. Those tests are all based on things that are invisible and they are, the results are inferred in a sense. PCR is separate from that. It's just a process that's used to make a whole lot of something out of something. That's what also, it is. Um, it's, the, it's not, it doesn't tell you that you're sick and it doesn't tell you that the thing you ended up with really was going to hurt you or anything like that. So there you go. That's where we kind of got that notion of it's not a test is the inventor of PCRs sitting there and sort of explaining the, the nuances of how, again, you can take anything. And yeah. it's an amplification like process that you can use to amplify uh, the amount of any molecule that you're looking for. Um, right. Now, I don't know if any, I don't know if it can detect silver in my soil sample. I just mean, you know, in the context of looking for some viral disease. Now, as you heard in there, uh, you know, PCR, one of its biggest uh, past uses was for uh, HIV, which, of course, Anthony Fauci had a big hand in and. Also, he, Anthony Fauci was just as much of a controversial figure back in the HIV, uh, in his days working in the HIV realm as he is now. And in fact, um, you know, had similar conspiracy theories floating around him back then. But that's neither here nor there. So, yeah, yeah you know, I, I really, really do appreciate uh, uh, producer Mark sending these notes in. It's always I love hearing all sorts of different sides of it. It sounds like this is a bit more of a rhetorical um, disagreement or, or divergence. Um, or just a semantic use of it. And this is part of the I think it speaks to a greater issue of what we're dealing with right now which is that the scientific community has their verbiage with, or any community of professionals has their own verbiage and it's very exclusive and very specific to what they're talking about. You know, I listen to my wife talk about whatever she talks about in all of her, in, with her job, which, uh, you know, she's a, a manager, a senior manager of a, uh, a medical supply company yeah. with the IT end of it. And I sit there and listen to her meetings and I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about. I, literally <laughs> they use language that is completely different. Right. I understand the words, like I understand they're speaking English, but how it's applied and what it means is a little bit different. So this, that divide between what professionals use as certain words and how it is consumed or projected onto the greater public, right. that, that, uh, chasm there is what I think we're talking about in trying to clarify what exactly is taking place with the PCR and just to just call it a test. Well, yeah. Okay. In the medical professional, it clearly is a test to test for something. But if you're talking about in the general public, if they just want to know, Hey, am I, do I need sick? to quarantine? Do I yeah, need to take I, hydroxychloroquine or whatever yeah. your response? Am might I going to die from, yeah. from C19? That, it's not, exactly clear that a PCR is going to, to, or the results of the PCR are going to give you the result uh, the, uh, the kind of outcome or the information even yeah. to, to, to give you an informed, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, in the informed situation of what's going on. But, and um, producer Mark this. points out uh, at the end of his email there that it's there's obvious problems with PCR mainly being that depending on how you run the test, you can, say oh yeah you just got a little tiny fragment in there no big deal you're, you're if you're not sick you're okay or uh, you can crank it up and go oh my gosh you're a super spreader and well, let's uh, 
<laughs> you want to hear what uh, Daddy Fauci had to say about it real quick? I have a clip of that, Yeah, too. let's hear it. Science is truth. Oh. This week in virology, the podcast about viruses, the kind that make you <laughs> sick. PR. There have been a number of reports uh, of patients who shed viral RNA for weeks, as determined by PCR. Doesn't seem to be infectious virus. And the real question is, are they a threat for transmission? And I'm wondering if you think we could use uh, a cutoff of viral loads determined by PCR to say this patient is no longer infectious, can go home, can go to a nursing facility, because right now the, the physicians are really having a hard time with that. Right. Again, a good question. And what is now sort of uh, evolving into a bit of a standard that if you get a cycle threshold of 35 or more, that the chances of it being replication competent are minuscule. Mm. So that if somebody, and you know, we do, we have patients, and it's very frustrating for the patients as well as for the physicians. Somebody comes in and they repeat their PCR and it's like 37 cycle threshold. But you never, it, you almost never can culture virus. Yeah from a 37 threshold cycle. So I think if somebody does come in with 37, 38, even 36, you got to say, you know, it's just, it's just dead nucleotides, period. There you go. That's Daddy Fauci right. saying it's dead nucleotides. Yeah. <laughs> if five over. Right. And, and that's that amplification process that we're talking about, that if they run yeah. it and later on in that, uh, isn't it later on in that clip that he <laughs> kind of straight up says like, oh, even 35 is too much. You really should he be does. playing yeah. it around 32 or 33 or something yeah. like that. <laughs> something close. Yeah. Uh, the World Health Organization came out and said 45. Oh, because of the oh great. Okay. So that, that's kind of where people are like, not even people, normal people, not scientists, people, but, you know, people like myself, a layman when it comes to all this, uh -huh. are sitting there going, okay, so listen to Fauci, but what he's saying here is doesn't line up. There's just a lot of confusion. Right. Uh, and that's anyway. it's, and it's meant to be that way because as much confusion yeah. as you create, creates more uh, in a normal population will make people just give up trying to understand and just do what they're told. Now is the time to do what you're told. Wow. <laughs> just do what, you, what we say. <laughs> Okay, I wanted to include this as well because this is uh, something that I didn't see until John C. Dvorak uh, sent out his newsletter. Mm. Uh, but apparently, the John Hopkins uh, newsletter published by the students of John Hopkins since 1896 oh. on November 26, 2020, they published an article called A Closer Look at U.S. Deaths Due to COVID-19. Mm. And um, I'll read parts of it here. Genevieve Brain or Bryand, assistant program director of the Applied Economics Master's Degree Program at Hopkins, critically analyzed the effect of COVID-19 on U.S. deaths using data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention (CDC) in her webinar titled "COVID-19 Deaths: A Look at U.S. Data." From mid-March uh, to mid-September, U.S. total deaths have reached 1.7 million. This is total deaths, not COVID deaths, like mm. all the deaths combined. Mm. 1.7 million, of which 200,000 or 12% of total deaths are COVID-19 related. 
Instead of looking directly at COVID-19 deaths, Brian focused on total deaths per age group and per cause of death in the U.S. and used this information to shed light on the effects of COVID-19. And she says, uh, the article continues, after retrieving data on the CDC website, Brian uh, compiled a graph representing percentages of total deaths per age category from early February to early September, which includes the period from before COVID-19 was detected in the U.S. to after infection rates soared. Surprisingly, the deaths of older people stayed the same before and after COVID-19. Since COVID-19 mainly affects the elderly, experts expected an increase in the percentage of deaths in older age groups. However, this increase is not seen from the CDC data. In fact, the percentages of deaths among all age groups remain relatively the same. Uh, and then I won't read. I'm going to skip a couple parts here for purpose of time. Therefore, according to Bryant, not only has COVID-19 had no effect on the percentage of deaths of older people, but it is but it has also not increased the total number of deaths. These data analyses suggest that in contrast to most people's assumptions, the number of deaths by COVID-19 is not alarming. In fact, it has relatively no effect on deaths in the United States. This comes as a shock to many people. How is it that the data lie so far from our perception? To answer this question, Brian shifted her focus to the deaths per causes ranging from 2014 to 2020. There is a sudden increase in deaths in 2020 due to COVID-19. This is no surprise because COVID-19 emerged in the U.S. in early 2020, and thus COVID-19-related deaths increased drastically afterward. Analysis of deaths per cause in 2018 revealed that the pattern of seasonal increase in the total number of deaths is a result of the rise in deaths by all causes with the top three being heart disease, respiratory disease, influenza, and pneumonia. This is true every, this is a quote, this is true every year. Every year in the U.S., when we observe the seasonal ups and downs, we have an increase of deaths due to all causes, Brian pointed out. When Brian looked at the 2020 data during that seasonal period, COVID-19-related deaths exceeded deaths from heart diseases. This is highly unusual since heart disease has always prevailed as the leading cause of deaths. However, when taking a closer look at the death numbers, she noted something strange. As Brian compared the number of deaths per cause during that period in 2020 to 2018, she noticed that instead of the expected drastic increase across all causes, there was a significant decrease in deaths due to heart disease. Even more surprising wow. is seen in the graph below. This sudden decline in deaths is observed for all other causes. <laughs> it shows a chart here, uh, and it goes on. This trend is completely contrary to the pattern observed in all previous years. Uh, interestingly, as depicted in the table below, the total decrease in deaths by other causes almost exactly equals the increase in deaths by COVID-19. Mm, wow. This suggests, according to Bryant, that the COVID-19 death toll is misleading. Bryant believes the deaths, uh, the deaths due to heart disease, respiratory disease, influenza, and pneumonia may instead be recategorized as being due to COVID-19. The CDC classified all deaths that are related to COVID-19 simply as COVID-19 deaths. 
Even patients dying from other underlying diseases but are infected with COVID-19 count as COVID-19 deaths. This is likely the main explanation as to why COVID-19 deaths drastically increased while death by all other diseases experienced a significant decrease. Quote, all of this points to no evidence that COVID-19 created any excess deaths. Total death numbers are not above normal death numbers. We found no evidence to the contrary, Bryant concluded. And it goes on for a little bit longer, but you get the gist of it here. As we suspected, the way this is more of a category error than it is, you know, just a pandemic. Yeah. And um, and uh, the the actual uh, Johns Hopkins newsletter retracted on this article. They pulled it. Yeah. After four days of being, maybe less than that, three days after it was published, and um, in their stead, they published this uh, this note. And in the note, it says the newsletter, this is the, now the uh, Johns Hopkins side of things on why they decided to pull the, the, uh, the, the article. Uh, they said that we decided on November 26th to retract this article to stop the spread of, of misinformation, as we noted on social media. Uh, and then they go on. The newsletter is an editorially and financially independent student-run publication. Our articles are content uh, our articles and content are not endorsed by the university or the School of Medicine, and our decision to retract this article was made independently. Brian's study should not be used exclusively in understanding the impact of COVID-19, but should be taken in context with the countless other data published by Hopkins, the World Health Organization, and the Center of Disease Co- uh, for Disease Control and Prevention. As Assistant Director for the Master's in Applied Economics Program in Hopkins, Bryant is neither a medical professional nor a disease researcher. At her talk, she herself stated that more research and data are needed she's to a understand. <laughs> she's not a medical <laughs> pro- professional because she's a medical student. Uh, and yeah, and she herself stated more research and data are needed to understand the effects of COVID-19 in the U.S. Well, duh, that's what everybody says. But it's very fascinating how there's no actual refutation of the data here they just go after uh brian the character this is the clear ad hominem it's like oh it's not a real a real professional yeah uh and then uh, just saying that oh you got to take this information with other things we've published on johns hopkins so did not address the actual elephant in the room which is the data which uh, if we take the advice of uh, Daddy Fauci, science is truth. We should listen to the data, right? We, we got to <laughs> listen to the science. But when it's not, uh, when it doesn't feed the narrative, they have to yank it. And so the only place you can find this article is in archive.org. And, I, and it's really funny. I shared it on uh, social media and I got a response. Somebody hit me with the link, you know, the link back. Nice. And uh, they hit me with the link that said uh, that basically the headline was, archive.org helping spread misinformation <laughs> i was like wait a minute so you're going to dismiss all the the data that's coll- the presented here and just go after the the medium mm-hmm. archive.org yeah really? that's your argument shame on uh, an organization that tries to uh hold people accountable to their retractions and their uh, additions to the information that they put out yeah so that yeah. person is just silly yeah so there you go uh I, I think it's pretty clear and again this is with information publicly provided by the cdc so it's not like 
a, you know, they found this data on a QN on board or something, not to go after the QN on folks, but right. just as an example, it's not something that was pulled out from conspiracy blog or something like that. This was actually on the, the, the Johns Hopkins newsletter and, you know, yeah, published by students, but still, I mean, uh, to get on there, it's not going to just, well, yeah. Cause students won't lose uh, funding by <laughs> telling yeah, the truth. Yeah. Exactly. So just thought I'd throw that out there for more ammunition for anybody that's trying to say like, Oh, the, the crazy pandemic. Yeah. I mean, more than anything, it's just the, the issue with, uh, maintaining a narrative that the data doesn't necessarily support. And right. of course, when any data comes out, uh, that does not directly support a mainstream narrative, a shame on you. Yeah. And I really, I really wish I can get, dig more, you know, deeply more into the data because uh, I have a, a nurse neighbor, neighbor who's a nurse, uh-huh. and she was talking about how oh we're getting you know uh, over flooded and there's so many we're running out of ICU beds and the whole narrative. Uh-huh. And she's a nurse, so I believe her. Yeah. Uh, but I also want to say, okay, wait a minute though. How do we how do we know that the the, the issues people are having are aren't just from other things like it's it's a categorization situation here and i there's just no way to really tell and i think even the medical professionals the nurses themselves i mean you got some saying that this is all a scam yeah well i mean the the main thing is i mean i don't think you or i disagree on the fact that covid19 is a real disease and it probably is being found in uh, a lot of people. I don't think that's really any sort but of disagreement. It's the just weaponization the of pro- that. Well, the issue being what choices are being made to shift society when the total death count is really not that different than it is year to year, or at least according to the CDC information. Um, yeah. You know, what the actions that are being taken by uh, elected officials, unelected officials, uh, the social shaming that happens, the control uh, over society, economics and such. The the problem is not is the disease extant or is it not is the, the, the real issue is can we really tell people that they can't go to work or run businesses or stop feeding their children or not see their grandma or be publicly shamed for this or that uh, because of it. That's the big problem. I mean, it's, I don't know. There's all sorts of theories about the existence of COVID-19 and its categorization as whatever. I mean, it is a coronavirus like a cold. I'm not calling the coronavirus, you know, I'm not calling COVID-19 the cold, but you know, some people call it akin to a flu or a bad uh, this or that. That's not even really the question. The big question is, does our government have the right to do what they're doing? Most of the time they do not. And is it health? Is it uh, overall healthier or less healthy? Uh, in the overall scheme of things to shut things down such that children aren't able to eat 
at night and shut down whether it be social services or charities or uh, businesses or uptick in suicides and drug use and uh, uh domestic abuse and all these things is that really the right reaction to what's going on and that's the biggest problem yeah it's that that part of it is really frustrating to me that that's what drives me crazy is that uh, you have all these folks just kind of going along with the narrative and how much of the media is complicit in creating uh a you know, a social psychosis, uh, almost a physiological response where oh, yeah. they're all freaked out because, oh my gosh, I tested positive. I have to go to the ICU. I'm going to die. You know, yeah. that, that part of it, the psychological part of it affecting your physical body and maybe, you know, some other issues popping up. Totally. Yeah. That's a huge thing. That's a big psychological uh, warfare. Closing you know, down gyms so people can't stay healthy and, yeah. you know, get fit and, uh yeah no this is it also it's a great reason to get the robots into the workforce but robots, you all yeah. know that all right guns well for sake of time i think it's uh time for a nephilim update what do you think nephilim update, nephilim update, nephilim update. this is from audible.com oh a nephilim thriller <laughs> is the name of this devil's den a gripping supernatural thriller and uh, uh, this is what it says here. My name is Stephen Cabot, and I'm a former spy with a dark past. I'm trying to change, but some habits stick with you, and killing is one of those habits. Oh, no. I've, I've recently started seeing demons and have even had, uh, had to fight a few. I, su- I suspect it has something to do with my crazy mother. She killed my father when I was young, claiming he was a demon. I figured she was nuts, but now I'm not so certain. I've returned home to uncover the truth about my past when my old flame, Kate, asks for my help. I haven't heard from her in 16 years, but I owe her. A mysterious cult has kidnapped her teenaged daughter, and I'm the only chance she has to get her back. Wow. Uh, What seems like a simple case turned into a much larger fight between light and darkness. It appears that both heaven and hell want to use my services which forces me into a rather difficult choice. To make matters worse, a fallen angel wants an unhealthy romantic relationship with me and won't just take no for an answer. Or at least that's that's what I think. But to be fair, I only have a tentative grasp on reality at the moment. Whoa. Okay. Uh, Yeah, that's... (laughs) (laughs) Devil's Den is supernatural uh, uh, thriller. A Nephilim thriller. Okay. Sounds like a blast. Find it on audible.com. Audible.com. Nine hours and 33 minutes. Oh, wow. That's a decent yeah. listen there. We're not yeah. sponsored by Audible. Um, nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sounds good. Did we do it? Should we land the plane? Oh, wait. I got to oh. read this part. Oh. Evolved Publishing presents an intriguing, thrilling look inside a great battle between good and evil, possibly leading to the end days with the first book in the award-winning A Nephilim Thriller series. A Nephilim Thriller. Okie dokie, everybody. There you go. That's all we got for you this Wednesday. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And thank you to those who are watching live. And uh, remember, if 
uh, after every episode, we do post these on our RSS feed on whatever podcast player you use. So go ahead and search Canary Cry News Talk and uh, subscribe to the podcast version. Because if you ever miss a live show, you can go. We put up a uh, the, the sound quality is higher and um, make sure to do that. Subscribe. Listen to the podcast version. At least it's a good backup if you can't see a live show. So there you go. We will be back on Friday the 18th. That's Friday, December 18th, sometime between noon and 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So make sure to put it on your calendar, turn on notifications, whatever you got to do. Don't uh, miss the show. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast feed as well. And uh, make sure to, uh, if you're thinking about becoming a producer, participating in the value for value model. I know a lot of you probably tuned out for the uh, producer, the value for value section this episode, but go back and listen to it. It's a new, uh, some new info there. Advertising being one of the biggest, I would say, negative supernatural powers going on in the world today. It's the reason Facebook is the problem that it is. It's the reason mind control is so uh, blatant and uh, widespread. Advertising really is a big problem. And that's why we are on the value for value model, because we can't stand before God and explain why uh, we (laughs) advertised when we knew we shouldn't. (laughs) <laughs> so don't let uh, advertising agencies decide the value of your media. That's up to you, folks. And you can do that by becoming a producer at patreon.com slash CCNT or canarycryradio.com slash support. Canarycryradio.com slash support. That's right. Canarycryradio.com slash support. And if you haven't done it yet, make sure to hit the like button on that YouTube video. Very helpful. Thank you very much. Now, here's the thing. Uh, There's all sorts of other ways to become a producer of the show. You can create art. You can create jingles. You can write songs for the Canary Cry mixtape at the end of the show. Make them all show related. And you can email those to canarycryradio at gmail.com. That's canarycryradio at gmail.com and uh, we'll put it on uh, the next show. So thank you very much to all of our producers today, both financial and creative. We couldn't do the show without you. And thank you to all of our uh, infrastructure producers as well. We've got uh, producer Smiley over at canarycry.community. We've got producer Dust running the Canary Cry merch perch. Oh man, it's just such a family affair. We appreciate everybody who makes the show happen. Um, now, there's other ways to produce the show. Well, there's other ways to help out the show, and one of those is leaving ratings and reviews. If you have not left a rating and a review, uh, you can do that at Apple Podcasts or, or on whatever podcast player you use. Just search Canary Cry News Talk and leave a review. I'll be reading reviews on Friday's show. It's always a blast, whether they're uh, talking about how great the show is or how much they don't like me. It's always fun. We're having fun here. 
And lastly, share the show. Put it out on your social media. Thank you. I see everybody who puts that out on Twitter and uh, Facebook and things like that. Please continue to do that and uh, tag your friends, people who might uh, appreciate listening to the show. Remember that the YouTube uh, version of the show will have, uh, what are they called? Timestamps. Timestamps. Yes. And thank you uh, to, can we just say it's producer Charlie? Thank you very much, producer Charlie, for the timestamps. It helps people who find the episode just kind of jump around and find uh, whatever subject matter they want to listen to without having to full on jump into the show. But either way, if you've got friends, you got family, they're starting to wake up to the fact that the world is not what it seems. Just share the show with them and then you guys can listen together or separate and talk about it. It's a good time. And uh, well, thank you very much for that. And if you need any more instructions, here's what you do. You walk right up to him, you grab him by the cage, and then you shake it. The end of the world occurred pretty much as we had predicted. I want to shake things up, stir up some controversy, rattle a few cages. Hey, stop that! Don't ever silence me. I'm the last angry man, a crusader for the little guy. Leave the bird alone. Never! Cradle a few cages. Cradle a few cages. The human race will have every opportunity to improve. And if they don't? Ask Noah. That's right. Just ask Noah. All right, Gons, any last words? Basil is a poo-poo face, says people in the chat. (laughs) I can take it. Go on, do your worst. Uh, Don't. Don't do it. I'm very fragile. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Canary Cry News Talk. We'll be back on Friday, the 18th of December, the year of our Lord, 2020. So make sure to be there or be square. But until then, remember to think outside the cage. Look it up. He's a Satanist. Stop this progress before it is too late. You can't handle the truth. Sure, hallelujah. That was nice. Aliens. 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 Remember.